Hello everyone and welcome to the Double View Wrestling Podcast, a new weekly podcast where we are re-watching AEW from the very start. I am the retired UK Brit wrestler, formerly known as Triggerman, now known as Sid. With me as always is superstar Pete Andrews. Also retired, nice to be with you. <laughs> Join us today as we look at the big one, All Out 2019. But before we get into all that, Pete. Yes. If, if, if you were Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. The dream, yeah. And you had to choose your destroyer, Stay Puff style. Ooh. Which wrestler would just pop in there? Andre. Of the giant variety. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's that's pretty good. Because I think if he if he went a bit mad, I think he's manageable because yeah. you could run away from him. I can imagine him stepping on a police car in our city. Yes. As the line goes. Oh, I put Trish Stratus. Better. Yeah. Um because I'd go out of a smile on my face. Yeah, no, that that's probably better. Happily be destroyed. So, <laughs> welcome to 1999, and we're talking wrestling misogyny. Serious satisfaction. Right, so, today we are looking at All Out 2019. It's the big one. Tell us a little bit about this event, please, Pete. So, All Out, the 31st of August 2019, uh, at the Sears Centre in Illinois. Um, a good, good crowd for wrestling is the Chicago area. Um, always gets a good a good reaction. I'm intrigued to see how Chicago reacts going forward for AEW. Obviously, their, uh, their boy is seemingly on the way out in CM Punk. So, yeah, the, the crowds may differ going forward. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, we're in a we're in a definitely in a flux period as we uh, look back now from twenty twenty two, but right now in twenty nineteen, this is what it's all been building to to really, hasn't it? We've had in the last uh, in the last month we have looked at the first year of AEW. Can can you believe we've already covered the first year? Crazy, isn't it? And I you kind of forget that it was spread out over that time. I guess rewatching it because. If we watched it all in such a short space of time, you forget that at the time it was so spread out um, and there wasn't dynamite right away and they were just doing these sort of big events to get the ball rolling. Yeah, it's crazy, really. And we're just one month away from AEW getting that big TV deal. Yes. I mean, they've already got the TV deal. The contract's been signed. Mm. The advertisers are in place. Tony Khan has given as much of his dad's money away to people as he can. So it's happening. And we're just a month away. There's a few bits in this show where it's they're, they're like they do that reverse pay per view ideology, whereas rather than they've had big matches on TV and this is a blow off that you pay for on the pay per view, where it's kind of the other way round on this show. Uh, and I'll point them out when it happens, where it's kind of like we're building to a big belt event that we're going to have on TV for free. Yeah, true. So uh, the good news is though that this show is free to watch. It is free on YouTube with adverts. Um, if you don't want to watch the adverts, it's still $20 on Fight. Yeah, some of these older events on Fight are uh, a pretty penny if you haven't previously bought them. 
I can see giving it like a year where you have to pay for it or even six months. But I think once you've got the fight package, you need to kind of, you need to look at the cock. You need to look at how WWE had done it with their streaming platform. Yeah. Where like, don't penalize people and make them pay extra for an old show. Hmm. Because at this point, these are legacy events. Yeah, they're not. Exactly. They're not money. They're not revenue generators, shall we say? Legacy events should be free as part of the package. Get on it, TK. What are you doing? Sort it out. What are you doing? So I didn't watch the uh, pre-show. So let's talk briefly about that, Pete. What matches were on the pre-show? Okay, so two matches. Uh, we had a. Uh, casino battle royal match that they like to have um, at these uh, pay-per-view spectaculars, but this time it featured the ladies. Um, so yeah, uh, a women's casino battle royal match, uh, which featured a lot of names with sin already, uh, the likes of um, Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, um, but it also had a few uh, people that weren't signed to the company and were sort of you brought into. To fill the the battle royal out, um, so we had the likes of Mercedes Martinez. Uh, she's now signed to the company. She's the Ring of Honor Women's Champion at the minute, but at the time she wasn't. Um, not long after this, she went to WWE and had a brief run there. Um, ODB, uh, who fans of Impact Wrestling will remember, she was a former Impact Champion. Um, Ivelisse, uh, who was uh, on one of the seasons of Tough Enough, she's got a bit of a reputation. Um, for being difficult to work with, as a lot of wrestlers do. Um, again, she has a brief run <laughs> signed to the company and is soon let to go. We'll get to that uh, in a few months' time. Uh, Tenille Dashwood, the former Emma from WWE, she was in there. But yeah, a lot of uh, lot of names, a lot of names you may recognise, a few you might not have. Um, but yeah, the Casino Battle Royal was won by Nyla Rose. Um, so you're probably the right person to take that. And of course, she eliminated Britt Baker. So mm-hmm. that's pretty good because... the. We want to see Britt Baker getting that push, even though she's not quite fully formed yet. It is a big, big thing to have her down to the last two. Yeah, I mean, Britt Baker was still um, the first female signed, uh, female talent signed by AEW. So she'll always have that. Um, Like you say, she hadn't found herself yet. She hadn't started this heel run that sort of catapulted her. But yeah, they obviously were very high on her from day one, being the the first lady they, they went out to sign. So here's my question slash suggestion for AEW and their casino battle royales. Given they love their gambling theme and their casino theme, they've just they've just slapped casino on the front of the battle royale there. Why don't they call their casino battle royales Full House? Mm. That would work. It's got the card theme, yeah. you know. It could be it could be a crap wrestling tattoo of a few cards on an arm. That was big in the 90s, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. What was the other match on the pre-show, Pete? It was a tag team match between Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn, uh, against the Hybrid 2, Angelico and Jack Evans. Uh, won by Private Party. I mean, that's a decent warm-up match, and it's quite a good one to put on the pre-show, because mm. I don't really feel like I missed anything not seeing it. Yeah. No, it was a good match. You got three and a half stars from the Wrestling Observer, so that's pretty good going for a pre-show match. Um, the last couple of pre-shows haven't had exactly uh, well-received matches, um, so this kind of bucks that trend and you get a good match for free. So the show opens, and it's got a pretty decent, as we always call it, the Attitude Era package. Yeah. I, I actually got quite pumped from this package. Nice. 
Pete, when was the last time you got pumped by a good strong package? <laughs> well, maybe in my wrestling days when I was probably mounted from behind and pounded in the ring. Yeah, it's, it's happened to us all. Mm. You know, it's it is a shame when it happens in public, but yeah. you know, you've got to deal with it. That's the game, isn't it? it certainly is. It certainly is. But I, I quite like the music for this. I did. I didn't actually write down who did the music, even though they did say I did write down. It's a little bit Godsmack, a little bit trapped. <laughs> nice. So yeah, really going with that new metal attitude era aesthetic for sure. And I'm all right with that. On the commentary team, we have Golden Boy, we have Jim Ross, and we have Excalibur. Yeah, pretty solid. Golden Boy, um, he was kind of expected to, you know, be a full-time commentator for them, I think, when the uh, the company started. But he's big in the, the esports side of things. That's where he came from. And I think his uh, dealings with that, and as well as AW, couldn't do both. So I think he just stuck with what he knew best. But yeah, he was uh, on commentary for this show, for sure. And the commentary is pretty solid throughout. There's a few times where they do actually really do their job and pick up a few and cover a few little minor errors in the ring, mm. which is what a good commentary team should do, should elevate things for you. And they do their job well throughout the night. So let's just get straight into the first match. It is a trio match. We have got the Skirt and Jerkers, SCU. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? I like it. <laughs> Or Bold by Choice 2019, as they could be called. <laughs> They're against Jurassic Express with all three members, including Marco Stunt. And let's just take a second to, to talk about curtain jerking. Mm. Curtain jerking, it's its an odd one, isn't it? Because it's, it's one of those slightly derogatory terms. Yeah, but it's not really. That's a good position to have. It shows the company has trust in you if you're that first match. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I think when you when you talk about curtain jerkers in the private party, uh, Angelico, Jack Evans sense, like when it's a dark match kind of pre-show, mm-hmm. I get why they're called curtain jerkers, and you can use it as a derogatory term. But when people use curtain jerking to refer to the first match on a show, yeah, that's an honour. Mm. Like it's your second most important match. You're setting the tone for the rest of the night. So when I jokingly call. Scorpio Sky, Frankie Kazarian, and Chris Daniels, three excellent wrestlers, skirt and jerkers. It's just for laughs. <laughs> and a good laugh we've all had too. Uh, Chris Daniels is very camp on this entrance. Yes, he is, isn't he? If, if he was any camper, he'd be hosting Crystal Maze. Oh, I'd love that. Christopher Daniels hosting the Crystal Maze. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be bad, to be honest, would it? That'd be good. So, match starts... Frankie Kazarian and Jungle Boy start off, so that's solid start to any match. Mm-hmm. Some good, good old school wrestling exchanges, and then Luke Luchasaurus almost called him Luke Asaurus. He could have joined the librarians with Luke Thesaurus. Oh, that's good. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but Luchasaurus gets a huge pop when he gets in, and that's um, that's something that continues through the night. I have to ask though, Pete, where is Marco Stunt now? Obviously, we talked a lot last uh, last pod about where he came from and who he is, but we haven't really talked about where he's gone. Yeah, so he had um, a fairly decent run um, right at the start of the company while he was uh, part of the Jurassic Express. When they kind of won the tag titles, when Christian came in, he kind of got pushed to the side and then wasn't really used all that much um, and saw out his contract. Um, I know he did. I want to say it's The Voice, the uh, the singing competition. I know he went off and did that um, for a bit. 
Um, and he also um, got offered sort of um, creative duties for an independent wrestling promotion. Uh, this name escapes me, but uh, it's one that he'd kind of been involved with early in his career. And they kind of wanted him to come on board as a creative side of things. And he decided, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, so that, on top of the fact he was doing uh, the voice um, and other bits and pieces like that, um, that's what he's kind of been doing since. Um, I have seen him, his name come up few results shows for some indies here and there but he's nowhere sort of significant in, as such at the moment so he's gone from being little fish in the big pond to being a little fish in a little pond yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much okay you could never call him a big fish one of the things that got me seeing them all come out together was on paper just from a booking point of view you could almost get rid of jungle boy entirely and have luchasaurus with marco stunt and that's almost a better team on paper because it is such a difference mm. between the two. Yeah, true. Sort of a bit Jack Kirby's Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. Yeah, there's a reference. There you go. You, where you, if you can't get obscure Jack <laughs> Kirby comics from the 60s on a wrestling podcast, when can you? Yeah, exactly. That's how I would have booked them, which is a shame because, of course, Jungle Boy is great and does work really well with Luchadorus yes. and is the childhood friend. So he he sort of has to be there. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the uh, what they called the four pillars of AEW. He was one of their sort of homegrown prospects as such that they were well behind um, in the early days and still are to this very day. So they do a big double hip toss manoeuvre, do SCU, where they whip their opponent off the ropes. Little Jungle Boy comes back. And they kind of do a hip toss, hold, mm. and then do some overcomplicated move. Has that ever looked better than just doing a hip toss? I don't think so. I think you can you can fall into that trap sometimes where you take something that's quite basic and quite obvious and try and put another hat on it, and it, it just doesn't quite work. Sometimes just doing doing the move as God intended is probably the way to go totally agree with you there because it always it always slows it down it's like hip toss no they're doing something what is it and he's up and he's on someone's shoulder and then he's off and up oh was that it yeah just just do the hip toss keep it snappy especially in those first few minutes of the match i think i think a hat and a hat is a perfect description so i've talked already about the crowd loving luchasaurus in this match where's that momentum gone is it just the christian the current christian angle has killed it i think with with AW they they often fall into the trap of when a wrestler or a team has a really good chase for a title and they get them, they don't necessarily keep that momentum going for them. And I think Jurassic Express was a, a prime example of that, whereas the crowd was firmly behind them all the way up to them winning those tag titles. And then as soon as they lost them, or as soon as they had them, I should say, you know, they, they, they kind of stall the booking a bit then. It's like, well, they've got the titles now. They're, they're the best team we have, so they don't need any more work. And I think that's a mistake because fans can soon drop off if there's nothing interesting going on with a team or a wrestler. They'll they'll soon move on to someone else. So that's one thing I'd like to AEW do a bit better is, is do more when a, a wrestler has a championship rather than just go, well, they've got the titles now, that's all they need. Um, and I think, yeah, Luchasaurus, especially with this sort of heel turn, then face, then heel turn that he's just had recently, that's kind of hurt him a bit. Um, but hopefully he can get back to a bit of prominence. Yeah, no, I agree completely with that. They, sometimes they are a little bit behind the crowd. Uh, Wardlow MJF was a great example 
Like, yes, they didn't they didn't run it out. They did it in time, but they could have done it a little bit earlier, and I think it would have gone over a bit stronger. And and they haven't really done much with Wardlow since. Yeah, they're kind of doing that. They've fallen into that same trap with the the Britt Baker Jamie Hater thing at the moment. Oh yeah, that should the trigger should have been pulled on that months ago. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. I think they will get to that, but if they don't get to it soon, people online are already going, "Oh, we need Jamie Hater Page," and it's like, well, we haven't we haven't finished the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this huge momentum in this match, and the crowd are kind of calling for Luchasaurus to get the win. There's there's a couple of bits where he's absolutely on fire, he, and he he does a good mix of fast twitch stuff, like a few super kicks, to big powerhouse stuff, to some good impressive slams. And the crowd want that finish, kind of like the crowd wanted a claim to go over at All Out 2022. Yeah. And instead, SCU mount a comeback. It is a very good comeback, to be fair. It's SCU. Yeah, they yeah. know what they're doing. But it's almost a shame they hit the double best melts ever for the win. And it's, it just I just felt it was a shame because the crowd was so hot for Lucha. And if you give the crowd what they want in the opening match, it generally puts them on a good stride for the rest of the night. Yes. We'll kind of see the reason why um, in coming upcoming shows that SCU were kind of kept strong in this one. Um, in hindsight, yes, it's it's obvious to see why. But yeah, at, at the crowd at this point, yeah, like you say, they were they wanted Jurassic Express. They were the, the team that they wanted to win. So it was a bit of a shame that they didn't. But we get to see why. Did you spot the bit in the match where Jungle Boy takes a powder from the apron and leaves a good chunk of his hair yeah. wrapped around the top rope and it just pulls a chunk out? That wasn't nice. No, no. <laughs> I have a question for you about SCU's music. Yeah. Is that them rapping? Yes. Okay. Uh, and on that subject, can you still do the John Barnes rap from the 1990 <laughs> World Cup? I can. Yes. Go on. I think I think we have to now. See, now I've said I can. I see my can. You've got to hold and give and do it at the right time. You can be slow or fast if you can get to the line. They'll always hit you and hurt you. Defend and attack. There's only one way to beat them, and that's around the back. So catch me if you can. Because I'm the England man, and what you're looking at is the master plan. Three lines on my chest. No, I can't go wrong. Done it a bit wrong. I mean, that was whiter than a vanilla yogurt. Yeah, I went wrong. I'm going to have to study it because I used to be able to do that. I'm disappointed now. <laughs> I used to be able to do all the lyrics to uh, Ice Ice Baby. Nice. And at some point along the way, it's just become the chorus and the third verse on repeat. Nice, yeah. Um, I just get bogged down in Lamborghinis. Mm. If anyone ever says stop, I'll always say collaborate and listen. Just... Not hammer time. Well, you could do that one, yeah. But no, I, I go more vanilla ice. So if I ever did a rap medley, that would be where I mix those two songs yes, together. Yes, and I think you should do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you are watching All Out 2019 on YouTube and you've just seen Luchasaurus versus SCU, it's quite easy to get confused whilst watching it because it goes from that match to an MJF promo against Moxley for the world belt. Mm. But that's actually an advert for All Out 2020 <laughs> that has been cut into the YouTube presentation Brilliant. and is not part of the 2019 show as it aired. So 
yeah, a little bit of a spoiler there for All Out 2020. Let's try not to hang up on that. No, no. And then we got a confused Brandy promo. Obviously, yeah. Which was actually just an advert for heels. Mm. And I went to All Elite Heels or EliteHeels.com and the URL is dead. What's that about? Well, it was it was a thing for female wrestling fans. Um, it was kind of this push for, you know, their their version of a, a women's evolution that WWE had. And I think it was just a, a safe space for uh, female wrestling fans. Obviously, it was a very male-orientated fandom through the 80s and 90s. But in more recent years, you have, since women wrestling has been taken more seriously, you have got a lot more female fans uh, watching the product. And it was a, it was a way to for female fans to have their own little area of wrestling for them. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, like you say, it doesn't seem to be a thing these days. I think it was a, a Brandy Rose project, so maybe when she left the company, they, they kind of knocked it on the head. Given that it's Brandy Rose, I imagine what happened is she created a safe space, got loads of women in it, and then once she got loads of women in it, she brought out uh, Awesome Kong, <laughs> and they both beat the piss out of all the women. Yeah, that sounds fair. And then, and then said, you're welcome. And walked off. <laughs> um, I tell you what, this advert really reminded me of. I don't know if you've ever seen early ECW, just after it, it stopped being Eastern Championship yeah. and went to Extreme, mm-hmm. but not not on the cock, not on uh, WWE Network, yeah. but on on tape, like pre-recorded, like just recorded off TV, VHS style. They used to have these adverts with Sherry Martel and woman hawking jewelry for a local pawn shop, right. It's the most it like it's the most low rent advert you'll ever see, and it used to be on all the ECW television shows. Brilliant! That's worth hunting out just for how just bad it is. It's like, would you buy jewelry from these women? <laughs> they both look a bit pissed. <laughs> if I'm being honest, probably yeah, yeah. That's what that advert reminded me of. So we have got our first singles match of the night. We have got Kenny Omega versus Pack. Yeah, big one. Will there ever be a Mrs. Pack? And will she just be packed with a red bow on her head? God, I hope so. Imagine it. And lipstick. Oh, yeah, I'm a lady. <laughs> a nice 1978 Ms. Pac-Man reference for you there. What would her nickname be? So obviously Pac's the bastard. It'd be the bitch. bitch. Yeah, that's so obvious, yeah, really, isn't it? Be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or just the pregnant dog. <laughs> the pregnant dog, Ms. Pac. So you've got the wrestler of the year... Kenny Omega, two years in a row, he's been voted Wrestler of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, on paper, against Pac, great match. Yes. On paper. And not just on paper, it is, in fact, a really strong match. Yeah. Um, Pac is such a great wrestler. Um, obviously, he had a run in WWE as Neville. Um, had a really, really great run in NXT. He was the NXT Tag Champs and the NXT World Champ. Then he got moved up to the main roster and never really found himself. Uh, he famously asked for his release. They didn't grant it. So he stayed home for months and months and months and months. And then they eventually let him go. Um, off he went to Japan, wrestled for um, Dragon Gate, was their world champion. And uh, was quickly signed by AEW when uh, that company started up. I mean, they did call the guy Neville. Mm, it's not the best name, is it? And um, they're always rumblings that when um he was going to be brought up to the main roster vince wanted him to do like a, a mighty mouse gimmick like this short wrestler stick him in a cape um they they did that they didn't kind of bring as much attention to it as i think people assumed 
that's what they were going to do with the gimmick. But yeah, just whacking a cape on him and sending him out doing that, it's just, uh, it's not going to work, is it? No, no. I always love how when Pat comes out and he's in heel mode, his refusal to pose on the turnbuckle. Yes. Where, like, he grabs the top turnbuckle, goes to step up, looks at the crowd. No. Yeah. Such a simple thing. Mm. But he's so consistent with that. Um, why would you ever book this guy as anything other than a heel? I know. that That's what's crazy because for the longest time he hadn't done that. He was just the, you know, the high-flying baby face. And when he did eventually turn heel in WWE, it's like, wow, where's this been hiding for so long? I don't think anyone quite expected him to be so good at it, especially with a wrestler of his style. I mean, you, you often think these wrestlers that can do all the high-flying, flashy stuff, they're just not going to suit a heel persona. But much like his entrance, he, he changes his moveset. Yeah, he still does a few flashy things, but he does some really nasty stuff in the ring as well, sort of grounded stuff. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's a a brilliant heel and it's just took so long for that to come out of him. I think he's one of these guys, like and I know we've said this before, but there's gonna come a point where he has to cut down on a lot of his high flying stuff. And like you say, he doesn't need to be doing that now. This guy could easily carry a match just as the dirty heel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just every every ugly, not just dirty, but ugly move in the book. That's that's in my opinion that's how he should be booked, but that's obviously not what he wants to do, given free reign of his own booking. Yeah. But at this point in his career, he has been undefeated for six hundred and sixty-four days, two years. Yes. That's not bad. Yeah, pretty much since his WWE release till now, till this point, yeah, he had not lost. So obviously, Kenny Omega is coming off the back of his first win in AEW yep. at the last show, mm-hmm. Fight for the Fallen. So, you know, both both on a sort of hot streak, although I think we can say 664 days. Pac's probably on the hotter, uh, the hotter mm-hmm. streak here. Yes. Uh, some good little comedy bits at the beginning of the match where they're, they're doing the old international. Pac does the drop down and Kenny just casually walks over the chap. Very funny. Good turnaround. It just shows that even a match where you've got two guys who can really go, like best wrestler of the year versus someone on an undefeated streak, you can still have a bit of fun. You can still keep the crowd amused. And it's such it's such an easy thing to do as well. Like you've got the drop down and the guy's just in front of you. Just walk over. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Arrogantly. Yeah. And it's, it's that Kenny theatrical body language which really works as well. Yeah, and both these wrestlers at this point, they're, they're very much considered two of the very best, if not the two best wrestlers in the world. So yeah, the, the fact that they are doing that with each other, sort of, no, I'm the better wrestler, no, I am, uh, type thing. It, it was really cool. We also joked last week about Adam Page and Pac never having that match that was yeah. all the way back on the AEW announcement, supposed to be on W nothing. They did do the match at WrestleGate in Nottingham. Right, that's right, yes. And it's actually on AEW's YouTube page as well. Oh, so okay. anyone who wants to watch that, you can check that out. And it does get referenced a couple of times throughout this show, both in terms of this match and Adam Page's match later. Pete, was there any particular build for this match? Adam Page, sorry, Kenny Omega versus Pack? No, not really. I just think it was another one of those matches that, you know, people were very excited to see when AEW was announced and obviously Kenny Omega was involved and people saw Pack were Pack was involved. It was like, oh, this could be, you know, something very exciting to see and especially because Kenny had just come off this amazing run in New Japan where he was the the IWGP champion Pack had had this run with the Dragon Gate uh, championship so it was two sort of 
big foreign names from Japan finally getting a chance to wrestle each other. It was it's a match that a lot of people wanted to see, and AEW like, well, here you go, then have it. Uh, there was a little bit of a giveaway to the end of this match in the commentary as well as uh, JR, good old JR. He says that Kenny Omega might be more focused on Moxley. Right. Heads in that feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, good match framing. Does set the tone for the match. Um, if you ever want to see a great example of a wrestler slapping his thigh or doing a clap on a move, <laughs> there's an excellent top rope missile drop kick from Pat yeah. in this. And you, you, just a full-on hand clap, uh, <laughs> if you're looking for it. That's quite cute. Did you see, um, it was probably about a year or so ago now, um, WWE had a big sign put up backstage saying no thigh slapping. They banned it. <laughs> yeah. Some of the notes they put up backstage in WWE, though, I mean, I did, it did that list that came out uh, probably around the same time, of like the thirty-four Vince no nos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just it's just ridiculous. Like don't sneeze, don't cough, don't do don't interact with the crowd. That's my favourite <laughs> yeah. one. Like you're at a wrestling show, you're a wrestler in the ring putting on a show. Who are you putting on a show for? Uh, it's not the crowd, it's not even the TV audience. You're putting on a show for the network that's the thing i think that's why when um obviously the pandemic hit and they were doing their shows on what they called the thunderdome which was all the video screens of people watching from home like a lot of people like bet vince loves this he hasn't got a crowd there to ruin all his plans he can pipe in the reaction that he wants yeah i think that might be why he retired it wasn't it wasn't a (laughs) sex scandal (laughs) it was just well i finally got to control the wrestlers and the audience yeah and their reaction. I don't need. I don't need to do this anymore. I have peaked. Um, definitely, definitely is like the Vince Man control freak wet dream there. Mm-hmm. Something I noticed in this match, maybe they needed to move the barriers back a good foot for the crowd, right? Because there's a couple of times where both guys crack their ankles yeah. and heels and shins. Mm-hmm over the barriers as they come down from apron moves and top rope moves. Horrible, horrible thing to, like... I mean, it's not quite as bad as uh, Julie Hart on this week's Dynamite. Oh, that was horrendous. Missing a table and headbutting. Yeah. Apparently, if you if you slow it down, her head cracks off the um, off the floor. Right. And then her kind of head kind of bounces back up into the bottom of the barriers <laughs> as well. So yeah, that was, like, yeah, that, that was, was so sick. bad. Like in ECW, like everyone, a move in everyone's arsenal was get out the ring, move the mm. barriers back. Yeah. Maybe we should bring that practice back. Yeah, why not? So after that, they're selling Pac's foot quite heavily in the match because it's injured and Kenny has gone for it a couple of times. Yeah. But he can still do a 450 splash. Exactly. Like he can't do his, is it black arrow he calls it? Yeah, yeah. It was the red arrow Then when he went heel. It was a change to the black arrow. Nice. Can't can't do the black arrow because he's injured. I'll just do a four fifty yeah, splash. Just do the basics. <laughs> There's a front thrust kick from Kenny in this match, which really highlights that. Although Pack looks fantastic, and you could easily bill him as two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. he isn't a big chap. He's no. ripped. He's in absolutely fantastic condition. Yeah, yeah. But he he is still a smaller wrestler. He probably only weighs something like one hundred seventy five, hundred eighty kilo. Uh, sorry, pounds. Because he is, he is quite a lightweight mm-hmm. frame, and that front thrust kick from Kenny absolutely throws Pack yeah. into the turnbuckle. <laughs> Such force on that! I don't think either of them quite saw that coming. Yeah, and Pack in this match does 
some of my favorite things obviously you don't see it often because it's a really hard thing to do but that thing where wrestlers like a wrestler will go for a clothesline or a kick or something and their opponents will like fall back and then nip up to to avoid the move and pack does that a couple of times in this match i always love seeing that sort of stuff it's because you don't see it often it's always like yeah that's incredible it's, it's such a strong match all the way through. The psychology is mm. tight. Unfortunately, there is a botched Poison Rana, and it is it is in such an awkward place because it's in kind of like the final sequence leading to the finish. Yeah. All the commentators cover it well by not ignoring it, mm-hmm. and they talk about how tired they are in this match. Both guys are going for stuff that, that is hard to do when you're completely fresh, never mind when you're in, in the match. Pack goes for a Poison Rana on Kenny. Kenny kind of does the backflip a bit too late. They both sell it for a little bit. And it's just such a shame because it's going in mm. to um, the finish, which is a beautiful finish. And it's just that, that little bit of poison around. It just gets missed. Yeah, yeah. It's a horrible move to take anyway at the best. Yeah, I, it never, never looks mind nice. When you're doing it, yeah, and when you're doing it late and you don't have your opponent's legs to kind of post from and land in, yeah. you are just doing a backflip onto your head. Uh-huh. We go into the one-winged angel and absolutely beautiful reversal as it's going up. The crucifix submission from Pack. Yeah, the rings of Saturn. And that's the end of the move. That's the sorry. That's the end of the match. That's it. Yeah, referee calls it. Pack's Pack's one. Kenny's out. Didn't quite see that coming. No. I thought this was you know. I mean, we we're on the the build with with Kenny. I didn't think we'd get another singles loss quite that soon. But losing to Pack on that six six four streak, not really. Like that's not really a bad thing. No. I don't think anyone came across the weaker. Ah. And it was such a brutal finish. It came from literally nowhere. Yeah. And he just got it locked in so tight, and that was it. That's it. And Kenny wasn't pinned. He didn't tap. It was the referee causing the loss as such. It really reminded me of the early ECW Rob Van Dam Jerry Lynn matches, right. where. Uh, Jerry Lynn had come in as a bit of an unknown. No one really knew who he was on that first match. Mm-hmm. By the end of that match, he was being called the new fucking show. Yeah, yeah. And the story of that match was this is someone who has scouted the tapes and has got this guy's number. Yes. And it did look like that with Pac. Pac had obviously studied Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega's got his head on Moxley, eye on the prize, mm-hmm. kind of writes off Pac to a certain degree. And Pac just takes full advantage of that. Absolutely brilliant finish and it makes you want to see a rematch which that's what we're here for mm-hmm, definitely and i understand there is an iron man match in 2020 between these two yes there is yeah i'm very good it is too i will look forward to that one uh, it's almost a shame that they they go from this back to the the Mox and Kenny program, mm. but of course that's barely played out, yeah. so yeah. they have to. But it just made me made me wanting more. I want more. That's always good, though, isn't it? They've got you there. It's a great. It's a great thing, and it's kind of good that they don't do the WWE WWE thing of going, "Oh, we've had a great match between two wrestlers. Let's do that now every show for the next three months." That they do let it breathe and they do do something else, and then when they come back, you're like, "Oh yes, I remember last time. This was amazing. What are they going to do this time?" Yeah, it kind of goes into that more sports-based presentation. Obviously, they, they, they like the UFC boxing numbering of their matches. Yeah. So we will we will get Kenny Pack 2 in the future, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I will watch it. Good. I say the future. It's actually the past. Yeah. Because that's how time works. So here we go. We're into a triple threat hardcore match now, and I kind of think this should have been second because this is a bit more of a, a throwaway match yeah. than... 
than Kenny Pack. I mean, what a place to put Kenny Pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah second. I, I was surprised. I forgot that it was uh, that early on in that positioning. Imagine following that as well. I think, I mean, if you are going to follow it, having three guys that are willing to kill themselves isn't probably a bad way to go. Yeah, it's a complete change of pace. Don't look for a technical masterpiece here. <laughs> it is the cracker barrel clash, the triple threat match between the uh, the trio faction, formerly known as Hot Topic Rejects. <laughs> it is Darby Allen versus Jimmy Havoc versus Joey Janela. So that leads me to this hyper important question: Who is your favourite jam? Is it Joey Janella, Marty Janetti, Janet Street Porter, or Jan Hammer, who did the Miami Vice theme? It's it's Marty Janetti, um, because I like the Rockers. Uh, Janet Street Porter's tag team with Marty Janetti wasn't quite as good. The new new Rockers, but they were all right all the same. But her run with Al Snow was surprisingly good. Yeah, didn't see it coming. Yeah, no. Um, out of all those, why is Jan Hammer the best wrestling name? Van Hammer's wife, Jan Hammer. So all three of these guys were a team at Fight for the Fallen. So what is the story of this match, Pete? Was there something I missed? Because there didn't really seem to be a, a, a reason for it. And it would be quite easy just to do a little, oh, they all blame each other for losing. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the kind of issue you have when you don't have like a, a show TV show between big events to, to tell a story and to set things up at this point they're just kind of putting people in matches for matches sake really and there's no real narrative to some of the stuff they do for some stuff there is other stuff it's like we'll have these guys team one show and then the next show we'll have them all against each other so yeah I, I don't remember there being any sort of angle or anything to get to this it's just these three guys are willing to put their bodies on the line to have a good match let's let's put them in a a Cracker Barrel Clash, which is obviously one of the most well-respected matches of all time. Of course, yeah. Well, for the sake of narrative, I'm going to say they all blame each other for losing the last match at Fight for the Fallen. I haven't got loads to say about this match. It's a triple threat hardcore match with Jimmy Hammer. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hammer. Jimmy Hammer. <laughs> Put that one on the list. Jim, he's got a bit older. And after delivering for DPD all day, he's a bit tired. Yeah. Get this man a hammock, Jimmy Hammock. <laughs> Get this man a hammock. I just imagine Black Panther saying that. Well, that's the T-shirt, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> Chadwick Boseman saying, get this man a hammock. <laughs> and it's the best-selling T-shirt at Hot Topic. Definitely. Where yeah. he also works. So he gets he's getting it both ways, Jimmy well Hammock. <laughs> all right, so Jimmy Havoc, he shows his intent straight at the start of the match. Uh, he goes, he flips off both men in the ring. Ooh, what a, what a heel. And goes straight for the weapons. Pulls out all the chairs and all the crappy cameraman under the ring. And Joey and Darby respond to that by coming out and taping him up to a chair outside the ring. Yes. So he can't get involved or do much harm. Then they put a handful of thumbtacks in his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Don't do that. <laughs> and tape his mouth shut. <laughs> Because they got Jimmy Havoc out of the way early, that actually did leave a couple of minutes at the top of the match for Janela and Darby to actually do some good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A couple of good wrestling moments back and forth. Built the match at the beginning. A couple of sick apron bumps. I mean, look, it's got Darby Allen in the match. So to there's be gonna expected. be some absolutely horrific apron bumps because that's what he likes. Yeah. Fun bit where Joey Janela goes under the ring, pulls out a tennis racket. 
wretches <laughs> at the idea of using Jim Cornette's weapon. Yeah. Throws it away. Very funny. I like that. <laughs> and then Jimmy Havoc gets free from the chair, probably because someone jumped on it. I can't actually remember. And he comes into the ring and he starts giving Joey Janela paper cuts. Oh, yeah. Horrible. Didn't like that. Yeah, why why does that get such a visceral reaction from everyone? I guess it's because we can't imagine getting pile driven onto a thumbtack, <laughs> yeah. but we can imagine a paper cut across the mouth. Yeah. That's all it is. Horrible. It's, the crowd understand it. It's like in the, the Jackass film where they do it between the fingers. Oh. oh, don't. Yeah, they do that in this as well, yeah. which is, that'll be where Havoc got it from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always thought if you're going to mess about with thumbtacks, I would love to see this happen in a wrestling match. Well, not a wrestling match, but a hardcore match, I should say. Where you empty out the bag of thumbtacks, and then you reach down, get one, put it into a clear area of the ring, and give someone a pile driver on one thumbtack. Too far. Because I think it, I think it would get a better response than just like all the thumbtacks, just one right, ding, right oh, at the top of the head. Uh, any thoughts you had from this match, Pete? Um, I felt sorry for the barrel that exploded, didn't it? When uh, Darby went through it, there was it's like it wasn't there. There's it just flew through it. I mean, Darby, he just has this knack of doing things at an incredibly high speed, and like if it's through something or on something, whatever he goes through just tends to explode and just take none of the brunt from him. And that that barrel was a prime example. It was a disappearing barrel, but we actually had two barrels in this yes. match, or double barrel, if you will. Mm. We also had Darby Allen. Was this the debut of the Thumbtack skateboard? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I don't think we'd seen it till this, but it may be done. That's nice injuries, and silly. Yeah. I like that. Uh, we should also point out that Darby Allen going through the cracker barrel was onto the steps. Yes. Yeah. So when the barrel exploded and offered very little protection, <laughs> yeah. it's just one of those. <laughs> All the air goes out of your body as you hit, as you hit the barrel. Yeah. Um, loved it. That was fun. It's it's one of these things that it's easy to to write a match like this off, mm-hmm. but you have to remember that the first time you see this match or a match like this, it's awesome, and there are always new fans. This is a baby promotion. It's still in its first year. Yeah. There's going to be people in the crowd who haven't seen this before. Definitely. One match like this per show, not too long. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Over the years, the hardcore match has kind of become a funny match. It's all, it's it's quite a light-hearted throwaway, and that goes back as far as like Backlash two thousand uh-huh. was the the probably the biggest when the Fed are doing comedy hardcore matches. Who the fuck hired Raven? Um, that's that's twenty years now. But and if you want to have like the old school hardcore match where it's two guys who just want to kill each other. You call it anything but hardcore. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's funny when, like, WWE do it on, like, their Extreme Rules show. They'll have, like, an Extreme Rules match and a no Hobbs barred match. Like, well, they're technically the same. Yeah, they should be, but somehow they're not. Yeah. Really weird. <laughs> um, so, surprisingly, Jimmy Havoc wins yes. this match, which isn't too surprising when you consider that he was sort of written off at the start, so he has to mm. come back round and and get stuff in at the end. He wins with the Acid Rainmaker into the barrel yep. on Joey. Probably should have been Derby winning, given the rub that Cody gave yeah, him uh, yeah. a couple of shows back. But he didn't get pinned. Exactly. So He'd pretty much taken himself out of the match as well. He hadn't had someone else do it to him. Yeah, to coin the phrase, it's no skin off his dick. 
Is that a phrase? Then we get an advert. Hey, kids, did you get your Brandy action figure? Pete, did you get a Brandy action figure? No. I think she was one of the ones that wasn't released in the UK. Um, the first wave were sort of hard to come by anyway. Why was she never repackaged as Macho Woman Brandy Savage? Nice. Still time. I'd like. There's still well, is there, though? <laughs> I don't know. Where, where is she now? Is she... She's not she debuted. No, she's not signed to WWE or anything. Um, I think she's just staying at home. You know home. what? Actually, I just realised I don't care, and we talk about Brandy too much. We do. That's what she wants. <laughs> it is what she wants. Let's never do it again. <laughs> the next match is a tag match. It's been building for a while. It's the Dark Order versus the Best Friends. Yes, and it is a tag team title. First round by qualifier. It is. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. So here's my question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The winner of this match yep. gets a bye, so they don't have to fight in the first round. They go through straight to the second round yes. of the tournament. Yeah. Right. How is that different <laughs> to this just being yeah. the first round match? Exactly. That's what I thought. How? <laughs> what? It's ridiculous. Isn't it? I guess they they get a bit more time off between matches compared to the other people, but that's about it. Oh, it's the same thing. Just make this the start of the tournament. Mm. The like, if this was a match for the last slot in the tournament, yeah, yeah, and then you get through to the first round. Mm. That that's a story. Yes. Um, but a fight for the last. No, it's <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. I'm so confused. Mm, I thought it was I'm odd. I'm so confused. This leads me to a question. Because um, obviously we get the Dark Order coming out. We got the Creepers coming out mm-hmm. with them. Some of the Creepers, they're a little bit too into it. They're a bit yeah, too good. Yeah. So that led me to the question. What is your favourite shit wrestling entourage? Can't be too good. Shit entourage. I mean... While you're thinking, yeah. I'll say mine. Go on. Simon Diamond, ECW. Yeah, that's that's it, isn't it? Because it kept building, and it sort of got to the point where he had like a mini renaissance fair with him. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, isn't it? You're not going to beat that. It has to be, it has to be. I mean, Adam Rose and his Rosebuds was interesting, because only purely for the fact you had... It was all developmental wrestlers, and eventually some of those went on to be something, like Alexa Bliss was one, and... Uh, Braun Strowman was one, but that's that's quite good. Just looking back, because you can go, oh look, there's that person I now recognise who became something decent. I mean that's good and all, but Simon Diamond had the prodigy, yeah, the prodigyet, <laughs> a swordsman called the Musketeer, yeah, Mitch, a guy in white called Mitch, <laughs> and he also had the muscle-bound freak Dick. Um, mm. And if you ever saw the size of Simon Diamond's dick, you'd know why that entourage was so yeah, impressive. Yeah, very vascular. Simon Diamond or Adam Rose. Mm. Um, we could have a blow-off shit entourage feud between the Don't two. Don't say blow-off after discussing Simon Diamond's dick, please. I think that was actually subliminally intentional. <laughs> okay, so this match starts. We get a spooky pervert chant from the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Very good. That might be my favourite gimmick from Bauer. That's a, a Chuck Taylor thing. Um, back when he was in New Japan, 
um, when Chaos were feuding with Bullet Club. Chuck Taylor often used to call Jay White a knife pervert. See, I thought the crowd were just being clever, but they sort of were. Yeah. Uh, we get into a little melee early on the match, and everyone's hitting each other on uh, on the back. Um, and I think Chuck Taylor must get a bit distracted from something else because he's. I think he's hitting Grayson or Uno. I can't remember which one he's hitting, and he just he kind of stops putting any effort or force into them. Yeah. And he's just kind of wiping snot off the guy's back or something. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Something to look out for. <laughs> Uh, watching this match, it kind of dawned on me a couple of minutes into the match, about five minutes in. I think I'd rather just have Stu Grayson versus Trent. Yeah, that'd be good. That's uh, like that. I could definitely enjoy as a match. But then, of course, it wouldn't be tag team title first round by quality. Exactly. We need this so, to have that so advantage. What do I know? Yeah. We talked about these guys a little bit. We talked about Evil Uno in a bit more detail last week. Uh-huh. Let's focus on Trent. Okay. A bit more. Trent Beretta. Yep. Who trained Trent? There's obviously some Shawn Michael influences a lot of his moves, especially how he takes a turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. But who actually trained the man? Who trained him? I don't know exactly, but he came up um, through FCW uh, and the relaunch of ECW. That's where he kind of came to prominence. He was in a tag team called the Dude Busters um, with Kalen Croft. Uh, Kalen Croft um, was least eventually and they kept Trent on Caelan Croft didn't really go on to do all that much but yeah Trent stuck around in WWE for a while uh, never did anything of real significance um, there is a really great multi-man match that was on a main event um, as in the show main event that featured uh, a few people like Trent Beretta and Tyson Kidd and it's absolutely brilliant and they're doing some crazy dives and all this sort of crazy mad stuff they obviously thought we're on main event. None of management don't really watch out there focusing on Raw and SmackDown. Let's just go and do this crazy, crazy match. And it's brilliant. Well worth checking out this multi-man match from main event. Uh, but yeah, Trent um, sort of did the indies. Then he went over to New Japan, was in a tag team with Rocky Romero, um, Rapongi Vice. Um, when they split up, he teamed up with Chuck Taylor as the best friends. Rapongi Vice. Yep. What what is the origin of that name? Because they've dropped that a few times on AEW recently, and it's just left me more confused. Yeah, so Rapongi in Japan is kind of like the the party area of Japan. Um, so it's these two guys used to like going to Rapongi and having a good time, um, and that's where the the team came from. Eventually, Rocky Romero um, brought Show and Yo together, uh, and they were. K. Um, so yeah, Rocky likes to use this Rapongi thing in uh, all his teams, whether he's a part of them or managing them, um, and that's kind of what they were. They were party boys in Japan. Okay, well that makes that make a bit more sense. So I appreciate that. But you did just say prominence and new ECW with the same sentence. Yes, that's probably the wrong wording, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we get a nice top rope plancher from Sexy Chucky T, mm-hmm. or whatever he's called. Yep. I still don't get it. I still don't get the best friends. Um, <laughs> the awful waffle. Is it? Is it a sit-out Michinoku driver or a sit-out powerbomb? Yeah, I think it's... Pro- yeah. Is it an inverted Michinoku? I can't tell which it's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be flat at the back, or is it supposed to be head? I think it probably started as one of those moves that starts as head. And eventually, it's like, actually, let's make it a bit safer. Yeah, it, it's one of those... There is a, such a thing in wrestling as sloppy safe. Mm. 
And like, you know, we used to bu- bust out the Terry Funk pile drivers in practice. Yeah. Which was like, it's such a safe, easy move to take. And the sloppier you did them, the funnier they were. Yeah. Um, that's something I picked up. I picked that up off a, uh, like an eight or nine year old child at four FW's <laughs> practice sessions. There was like this little kind of short, fat, Cartman type kid and he would just run up to everyone regardless of how old or what size they were shout Terry Funk pull him in and give him the, the sloppiest pile drivers you've ever seen and it's always really funny and he just stuck with me so being as mature as I was mm. at the age of 25 I stole that move from a nine year old kid and I would bust out in practice sessions I remember once I had a friendly little match with uh, Chris Walker Chris Parker Welch on a wrestling show in front of a paying crowd and um, I held his I held his hand up to the crowd. It was after the match, bit of afterbirth. I kicked it in the gut, and I said to him, "I'm going to give you a pile driver now." <laughs> and he just went, "I oh, know." <laughs> Height of professionalism. I know. Because um, it was it was it wasn't planned. It's just we decided to do it. It felt right in the moment. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Let's go with it. Communicating in wrestling matches is uh, is always a really weird one because, like, when you kick someone, you put their head between your legs, <laughs> and you're about to give them like a power bomb or a pile driver, and you're speaking to them, and the crowd can't see it. Somehow, you can hear their reply, and I've yeah, never yeah, how clearly as well. It is really weird, but in the moment, you can you can hear and just infer everything. It's really really odd. Yeah. Right, well, I've managed to talk about everything but this match long enough to just turn the page to the next match. <laughs> so, Dark Order win. Yep. As as you'd expect, that is the correct call because they have been building Dark Order. Mm-hmm. They win with the fatality, the move they established at the end of the last show. So, yep, technically they did everything right. They ticked every box. Lights go out. Are we raping? <laughs> Orange Cassidy. Yeah, there he is. All right. Well, this is his first appearance in AEW. Yeah, he'd done some of the, the pre-show Battle Royal stuff, but yeah, this is his first sort of canon appearance as such. So I'm guessing this guy came from Japan or the Indies or maybe DDT. Yeah, the Indies. He wrestled in um, Chikara. Uh, I don't know if you okay. know much about Chikara. They had a team of ants, uh, people in ant masks. Um, <laughs> and um, Orange Cassidy was fire ant uh, as part of that. Uh, the Colony, they were called. He was Fire Ant in Shikara. Uh, eventually went on to create this Orange Cassidy gimmick, um, which was very, very much loved on the Indies. Easy to see why a guy who can do very, very little, but then when he wants to, can do everything. The only problem with being a wrestler called Fire Ant in a faction called The Colony is you can actually really be easily extinguished by Hydrant. True, Yes. Didn't think that, Which did they? they probably did. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they would have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, like I have heard of them. I've watched a few good documentaries about them. And if I could go back to wrestling anywhere, it would be there or DDT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More <laughs> of the the comedy side of things. I reckon I could still hang on on that. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Some of them are still incredibly, incredibly talented wrestlers and athletes, but. Like I reckon I could put on a skeleton mask, BL scale. I reckon I could just about still hang at a comedy level. My favourite Chikara thing, they used to do uh, King of Trios tournament every year. And uh, Sean Waltman, aka X-Pac, was going to be involved in it. And he rocked up 
And I th- I've got a feeling it was Chuck Taylor said it. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you wrestled as one, two, three kids? It's like, I've got the gear with me. So had a shave, got his one, two, three kid gear on and out he went. <laughs> it's fantastic. He's been carrying that gear for <laughs> yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And finally, finally it paid off. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> That is amazing. So Orange Cassidy, quite a strong debut here. Um, and it is a good way of saving face for the best friends who just lost to the Dark Order in this match. Yes. All the creepers are out there. Usually when the light's off, you think it's going to be a Dark Order moment. Yeah. No, no. It's Orange Cassidy. Hands in the pockets already. Dives off off the ropes, through the ropes, takes out a bunch of people. You really establish who he is and what his gimmick is in seconds here. This is a masterclass of debuting someone and getting their gimmick over Definitely. all at the same time. Yeah. Not that you had to, because the crowd pretty switched on. Yeah. They knew who he was. Yeah, he had a he had a big buzz. Um hadn't wrestled anywhere huge as Orange Cassidy, but the way uh, the world is now, you can watch wrestling from the biggest companies to the littlest companies all over YouTube. Um so yeah, people knew about Orange Cassidy. He was get he had a buzz going into this sort of this sort of time period. He was one of those really they've got a sign Cassidy to a contract and they were smart enough and did so. Finally, the best friends are the super best friends. Yes. Orange Cassidy right. is here yeah. to save your faction. Okay, let's go on to the women's match. Um, and it's still weird at this point that we're only averaging one women's match yeah. per show. Yeah. You did have the casino women's full house battle royals mm-hmm. before the show. But on this one, this is a good one. Hikaru Shida versus Rio. Yeah, pretty good one. You can tell uh, Kenny was heavily involved with the uh, women's division at this point. And Hikaru Shida is one of my favourite women's wrestlers of all time. I think she's absolutely great. Uh, so who is your favourite? Ri. Is it Rio? <laughs> Ryu, the Street Fighter character. Yeah. Ryu, the uh, Japan, uh, New Japan wrestler who was in a tag match a few shows back. Is it Rhino? Is it Rihanna or is it re rewind and the crowd say Bo Selector? I was hoping you weren't going to say that because I had that. I was going to say, actually, it's this one. And then I was going to say that because, you know, big fan of Craig David. Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> Craig David. Did you see Did you see Craig David and the lads from Corrupt FM doing yeah. the set together? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't think I'd ever be into that. There you go. They got me into garage. So is that your answer? Then? Yeah, your favorite yeah. Re- it's got to be, isn't it? Rewind the crowd, say both I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've done more for music than Rihanna. So the stipulation of this match, or the the outcome of this match, is that the winner will face Nyla Rose on Dynamite on free TV for the women's championship. Oh, I thought they got a buy in the tag team tournament. <laughs> No, no, that would be silly. Um, so they're not—they're not even on television yet, and already they have a match. Yeah, at their biggest pay per view ever, setting up a title match for free TV. Mm-hmm. It's just a different time. It certainly is. It's just a different time. It's not wrong. It's just a different time. Yeah. Early on in AEW, the women's division it is really all about making rio and selling her to the u.s audience Definitely. proper jr does a great job throughout the night of selling the match um and how it doesn't really matter who wins this match because how can you imagine either one of these women beating nyla for the belt that's it yeah 
that's that's really good. In a way, it is a shame that Rio has already pinned Nyla. Yeah, yeah. Fighter fest. Yeah, so it proves it can be done. In a way, it's almost a shame that Rio had already pinned Nyla Rose at Fighter Fest. Yeah. Perhaps that should have been a straight handicap match, and Nyla could have been pinned by Rio and Yuka Sakazaki at the same time, mm. just to kind of help assert Nyla's dominance. Yes, definitely. But but not a problem. It's still the idea that Nyla is going to have to face the winner of this one one on one, and it's sort of obvious for anyone who's paying attention that. It's going to have to be Rio going over. The smaller the person going against Nyla Rose, the big, the better that story yeah, can be told. Definitely. And I guess it works that she has got a win over it. It's like going into it. It's like, well, she's beaten her once. Can she do it for the championship? Let's see. Yeah, and one-on-one. Um, some sloppy-ass refereeing in this match. A lot of pin attempts were started before people's shoulders were on the mat, or you mm. can clearly see one shoulder was off the mat. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a sequence where Sheeda's trying to apply a submission mm-hmm. on Rio, and they're both on the ropes to set it up, and then Sheeda kind of walks them both into the middle of the ring, and JR is like, you can hear JR getting red. <laughs> well, you have to break the move. That has to be a break. Yeah. No, just let it go. It's fine. <laughs> Ending of the match was absolutely brilliant, though. Crucifix. Yep. From the crucifix position, a crucifix swing around into a pin. Rio gets the pin, sort of out of nowhere. Fantastic, great match. Uh, that's two really interesting crucifix finishes uh, on this show, and it's it's. Uh, I, I, we've talked before that I've always liked the crucifix pin to come out of a Samoan drop reversal. Yeah, Michaels was always really good at busting that one out yeah. as the plucky underdog who was like six foot two and massive. <laughs> but, <laughs> He'd quite often pull out the crucifix pin, and you, then it kind of disappeared, and you didn't really see it. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, for years and years, especially if you already watched WWE. And then, like on one of the previous shows, we had a crucifix bomb in the women's match. Mm-hmm. I think that might have even been Tully Blanchard busting that one out. Not Tully Blanchard. Tessa. Tessa yep. Blanchard busting that one out. If Tully Blanchard busts out a crucifix power bomb <laughs> in twenty nineteen on this. Give him the belt. Yeah, no, yeah. Fly him to the moon if he can do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I love a crucifix and all the all these great adaptions from it. Uh, modified crucifix attempts. Really good. Good that you like them. Otherwise, you'd have been a bit cross. I don't get it. Carry on. I thought I nailed it. Did you carry on cross? That was a reference to. Yeah, that that's that deep. That, that was a bit too ahead of my uh, yeah. usual yeah. field of interest, isn't it? <laughs> Rio's music. Rio's music. I'm sort of talking around the match. Um, we'll go back to the match if you've got anything to add. But Rio's music. Is it just Dance Dance Revolution on the hardest difficulty? It is like that, isn't it? Yeah. Because I can just I can imagine Kenny Omega and all his New Japan mates all like, around dominating an arcade Dance yeah. Dance Revolution. Um, could be a free part series. I think when it comes to um, wrestlers from Japan and the Orient, it's always very easy for the music guys to just do Japanese sounding Oriental music. And they've gone, oh, let's try and move away from that a bit. Oh, video games, they like those um, in Japan. That's where they all come from, isn't it? The games, they all make them out there. So yeah. let's, let's make it gaming music rather than Oriental music. There was a time I was well into Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. 
and, right. and I was pretty good up to a certain level, and then it just stopped making sense. <laughs> like I got, I got to get to a certain point, and it's just like, no, too many arrows. I don't get it, and I, I just stopped. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Actually, it was, it was just exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. It told the story. It feeds into the first uh, Dynamite mm-hmm. in uh, just over a month's time. Loved it. Really good. Yeah. Solid match. That's no, very good. Yeah, both uh, ladies in this one are sort of very well respected in what they do. Um, Rio, Kenny Omega's uh, mixed tag partner of choice uh, when he did those in Japan. Um, he was always team with Rio and Shida. Is like you say, just one of the best women they've got, I think. She's, she's so good. Um, she not only wrestles, she does um, a lot of plays in Japan. So when she's not sort of wrestling... She's not seeing her around. If she's not wrestling for a company in Japan, she's probably doing some like plays and musical stuff out there. She does a bit of both. Yeah, they 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 said uh, it would have been Excalibur saying, I imagine saying that she does theatre. Yes. Does so she she gave a hell of a lot up when she left to to because uh, she did actually move wholesale from Japan to America to yeah. be part of AW. So she did give up an awful lot. There's mm. there's good sacrifice there. Yeah, but she often goes back. She does little tours. Um, she's just. Uh, at the minute, I think um, like she's doing a bit of both. She's doing AEW and some um, Japanese Yoshi promotions. Um, so she's getting the best of both worlds at the minute. It's not uncommon, even on the UK indie scene. Uh, Gallo Man was available both at Bauer and CSF, but you could also find him in Pantomime. Yes. Once a year. Oh no, you couldn't. Oh yes, you could. Oh no, you couldn't. Oh yes, you could. <laughs> So did did you like the enthusiasm on that? Yeah, uh, I en- I enjoyed it. Yeah, I wasn't really behind you. Ah, <laughs> nice. Right, so let's move on to a cracking singles match. It is, and the cracking is the noise of Sean's yes. chair hitting Cody's head. It is Cody. <laughs> That's the blank for Rose. <laughs> um, at, versus Sean Spears. Yeah. Um. Great pre-match footage here in the package. Mm-hmm. I'd not seen some of this, including what looked to be a contract signing. Where is that footage from? I don't know. It looked like a crappy back office somewhere. Yeah, I think they did just some. They just filmed some bits for the the use of packages. They weren't necessarily shown anywhere. They probably stuck them on YouTube. Um, I remember very early in AEW's life. Uh, when they brought Tony Schiavone in, he was brought in to do some YouTube stuff, the, like the control centre. It was kind of like a, Tony Schiavone gets a green screen and then they, they sort of went over certain angles and things in that. They do it a bit differently now. They do the, the Road 2 on YouTube, so like a Road 2, the big, the big show, and they have all the video packages and things. So it could have been one of those. So, yeah, interestingly, Tony Schiavone, uh, you can kind of tell he had 20 years off from wrestling. Mm. He doesn't have the most insightful commentary. Um, Cornette did a little bit on a show recently where his co-host read out an entire match worth of Tony Schiavone's <laughs> contributions. And it was just, it was just, mm, yeah, wow. Well, look at that. What a match. Hey, guys. Wow. Yes. Okay. Wow. What a finish. I would miss him though if he wasn't there. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? He's always he's sort of always been there, and he probably like he came out of the WCW buyout probably worse than anyone really. And that I don't imagine he had a great contract. 
he wasn't going to make a lot of money sitting at home and riding that out. And then he just never got picked up in you. Well, he hated, he hated wrestling. He just wanted out um, when WCW folded. He did one show for TNA really early in their days. He didn't commentate, he just came out, did a promo thing. And then, yeah, he was gone. He was doing like legit sports for a long, long time. Uh, and then he did get back involved in wrestling with MLW. And I know he had an interview with WWE. Um, but I think he just thought, no, I, I can't. I've got a bit of love back for wrestling. If I go to WWE, that's that's going to kill it. And then AEW came around and he sort of put his feet in doing this YouTube stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see him back. I mean, obviously he's not quite the draw that Sting is, <clears> but I, I always wish Sting had never gone to the WWE. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's not just shame. for the injuries he picked up, but just... What what a waste! Yeah, completely. Let's not even talk about that. Yeah. But they they completely wasted Sting, and I think what's nice about uh, AEW is both now and at this point in twenty nineteen, you could bring in some of those old school guys mm. who were more well known, definitely for their NWA WCW stuff. I mean, most of them had kind of like a drive by at the WWE at some point. Yeah. But that's a good segue to get Tully involved. Yeah, uh, we have Tully Blanchard. In this match, he is on the side of the Spears, Sean, Gavin. Yes. <laughs> when did Tully get involved? Because they kind of made it out like there had been some stuff I hadn't seen. And I didn't know, again, like the like the contract signing, I didn't know necessarily where that had happened. Yeah, I, I do remember a YouTube thing um, at the time that Spears had aligned with Tully Blanchard. I mean, Tully, again, is one of those guys that, was kind of out the business for a very long time. Um, he did have a run on creative with WWE uh, in the two thousands, um, which didn't oh, okay. last. I don't think I knew. Yeah, it didn't last very long. Uh, he had a bit of a falling out with uh, Bradshaw, and Tully was like, "Not worth it. I'm, I'm don't want to do this anymore." And yeah, he he didn't really do a lot. Uh, but like you say, there's there's a very NWA WCW love in AEW. I think because it obviously WWE did everything they could to crap on those brands for the longest time. And obviously Cody being so heavily involved in AEW and obviously the history of his dad in those two promotions. There were it there were certain love letters to the NWA and WCW. And obviously Tully was a huge, huge part of that as part of the Horseman and everything he did there. So yeah, bringing in some of these names from yesteryear that maybe hadn't got the record their later years that they deserved it was cool to see yeah definitely definitely it's um it's always amazed me how wwe can be worth billions of dollars be a publicly traded company has won in every aspect of the word and yet they are still so insecure about their status yeah oh yeah they have to bury sting and wcw years after the fact to the detriment of the product they're putting out yeah silly isn't it really odd it's really odd. So Sean Spears, we get his full entrance on this one, on the chair, in the dark, light on the spotlight. Yep. And as we discussed heavily last week, he takes his time. Sean Spears is not in a rush. Uh-huh. He gets up. He closes the chair. That's when his music starts. He takes his time ambling down to the ring. Looks great. He's looking in good shape. Uh-huh. Ready to go for this match. And then he takes his hood off. <laughs> he's wearing a shit pair. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah. He's wearing a shit pair of contact lenses. Spears does this a bit in his early time in AEW. 
he just adds one too many things that you don't need. And like the contact lenses was a prime example of it. It's like everything was perfect. You you'd nailed it. Why have you done that? What does that add? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you, you've, you've described it absolutely perfectly. It is, it's like we said about WWE and insecurities and you just you add an extra thing yeah. to see if you're going to make people happy. Um, like, I mean, I'm not going to say that his contact lenses here were as bad as the WrestleMania 16 main event a McMahon in every corner, <laughs> but sometimes you have the ingredients um, and you just keep adding to it until it doesn't mean anything. Still not the worst contact lenses in wrestling, though. That was the ones that uh, WWE gave to Roman Reigns. They gave him some like blue, light blue contact lenses to make him more baby face, and he wore those for a bit to make him like a blue eyed baby face. To be honest, I'm surprised they've never made Randy Orton wear <laughs> yeah. snake contact lenses. <laughs> yeah, but now I've said it, it's going to happen. Mm, let's hope We're so. Will that into being? Yeah. So, uh, so a slightly silly entrance there by Sean Spears. Well, a really strong entrance, mm. undone by totally pointless contact lenses. Yep. Especially when his eyes are so good at storytelling. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it actually takes away; it doesn't add anything. But never want to be told, <laughs> Cody, Cody, to use his full name. He, um, I'm confused by this one. I like Star Trek. Pete, um, <laughs> we actually. We've been to the Star Trek club, the Banbury Away team yes, Star Trek yeah, club yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and um, our old friend and wrestling pal, Old School, was actually a founding member yeah, of the Banbury Away big team. Big fan of Star always, Trek. Always like to point that one out yeah, to him. Loves it. Um, I never thought I'd see MJF doing Star Trek, Star Trek cosplay. I don't think he knew, did he? He kind of told him. This isn't the Star Trek thing. It's just a just a jumper. So Cody and his little entourage, and I've got names for them all, which I will go through in a minute. Right. Star Trek themed names for them. <laughs> um, why did they do this? Why did they come out dressed as Star Trek characters? Absolutely no idea. I mean, it's one. Of, it got it got an action figure. There is a Cody action figure with his Star Trek top on. So it's one of those like toyetic things. But oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know really why. Okay, well, I've no idea why this happened, but I had to sit down and make a list of Star Trek-appropriate names for Cody's entourage. They go as follows. Right. We have Brandy as Seven of Wine. Nice. Uh, that's with a H, not the alcohol. Uh, Diamond Dallas Picard, obviously. Yep. Chief O'Friedman. <laughs> nice. Look, he's wearing the yellow. Yeah, yeah. And I had to, you know, it's, it's, don't think I haven't tied this into what they're dressed as. <laughs> and, um, although he should have been a Codassian, we have James T. Cody. Nice. But they should have put, if they're going to do it, put the full Cardassian makeup on him and have him as a Codassian. Yeah. Um, and then he could have, he could turn Rhodes to the top into the Codassians. Nice. It's what he wants, isn't it? Yeah. It's what he wants. Yeah. It's what he fucking wants. <laughs> So I would like to remind everyone that on the last AEW show, Fight for the Fallen, MJF was tagged with Sean Spears, yeah. his mortal enemy in this match. Um, so on that, I was sort of expecting all the way through this match that MJF was going to turn. Okay. And I think 
that was played up by the commentators a couple of times, and it was played up by MJF yes. throughout the match as well. I kind of liked it because it's it's one of those things that no one is buying it from day one that like MJF is a nice guy when it comes to Cody. It's like eventually this is all going to come undone, and it wasn't like a all wink wink like a like a secret. Like it was like when they they expected when the turn happened, everyone would be surprised. It wasn't like. Would it happen maybe one day? It's like when? When is this gonna? When is this gonna turn? Especially when DDP and Brandy get sent to the back by Cody. Yeah. Nominates MJF to stay at ringside. You're like, well, this this is going to be a factor. Yeah. Um, but the match starts quick uh, before the bell's even gone. Cody's off the ropes, dives through them to the outside, attacks Sean Spears. This perfect. It's a fight. It's not a wrestling match. Yeah. You don't need to have a five minute feeling out process at the beginning. There was a horrible chair shot that led to this match. Let's just get it on. Yeah. Um, this is what we were saying earlier about this would have been called hardcore back in the day. Yeah. The way the guys want each other. But hardcore is a bit more of a kind of like hearted comedy thing mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. This is a fight. Yeah, yeah. So they're into the crowd for the first few minutes of this match. That's one of those things that when you're at a show, when you're watching a show live, mm-hmm. fighting through the crowd's awesome. Yeah. Because you don't know if they're going to come up to where you are. It's just, um, again, it's one of those things. If Taz and Shane Douglas do it for twenty-five minutes <laughs> every show every night, it gets a bit gets a bit tiresome. Yeah. If you do it for five minutes at the start of a heated match, one match per night, it's it's brilliant, and you'll get the crowd into it. And that's something that I think AEW are getting really good at around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give every kind of match type a bit of room to breathe yeah definitely i would say in 2022 they've gone a bit step heavy yes like, there's been so many stipulation matches it is pretty much every show there is a stipulation of some type now yeah and they need to reel that back in because it's it's starting to lose its effect but here in 2019 as we are talking about on the pod they're getting the balance really, really well, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. The commentary on this probably over... I thought the commentary on this was overplaying the MJF role. Yeah. Um, and I was I was expecting him to side with Spears through this match. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a few silly spots in the middle. I love an angry Hebner spot. If you're going to have an <laughs> argument with a referee, it's got to be old Hebner. Yeah, yeah, he's good at that. Yeah, and Sean Spears plays it well. Um, there was a good belt bait and switch, so Sean's got the weight yes. belt off Cody. He's yep. going to whip him with it, and they do a good job of Earl snatches it away, and then Sean Spears goes into the corner, and Tully Blanchard gives him his own belt, uh-huh. which is not as thick and therefore much, much worse <laughs> to take. Yeah. Um, uh, but Earl had the turns around too soon and just sees Sean Spears <laughs> yeah. with it. And they just go with it. It's fine. It's yeah. just, as you were. So they did. They built it perfectly, and then they just uh, just let it go. And then, and then again, when Cody's like getting fired up, mm-hmm. it's a bit where Cody's doing his hoganing. He's hoganing up. Yeah. He's got all the little warriors running through his arms, and and just gets just takes a belt across the the shoulder face, and yeah, Hebner's fine with that. Yeah, it's because Cody didn't really react to it, so it's all right. If it had put him at a disadvantage, it'd be a different story. Wrestling rules. That's it. Uh, then we get a bit of MJF versus Tully. Yes. 
book it. That's what we want. <laughs> um, MJF takes a boot from Sean, though. So that Sean spears MJF, which is debated throughout. Seems to be out the door because mm-hmm. he takes a boot full in the face from, from George Spears. Yep. Seems intentional. Uh, and then just when it looks like the baddies have got the advantage and Sean Spears until he's doing the beat down, Arn Anderson comes out. Yeah. Gets the pop of the night <laughs> with with the best spine buster in the world. Yes, yeah, it's, it's when you can still do the best spine buster ever when you can't feel one of your arms. You, you know you're doing something right. Oh, is he is he Paul Orndorffed himself. No, it? it's when he was um, stabbed by Sid Vicious. Um, it caused a lot. <laughs> I wasn't of, even there. <laughs> it caused a lot of issues with. So yeah, so if you look at um, Arn, you'll see often like one of his arms and his hand doesn't quite work how it should. Poor Arn Anderson. Mm. You could call him one arm Anderson. You could, yeah. But, but we won't. So Cody hits a second crossroads of the evening. And that gets Cody the win. Yes. So Antaraj comes out. MJF's in the ring with him. MJF picks up the chair that has been part of the story of this entire match. And he kind of looks like he's thinking about it. And then he just kind of drops it. Not today. We're doing that slow burn like the MJF Wardlow. Yeah. I imagine this is coming down the road. We are going to see it. Don't, Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I hope it doesn't just burn out. And, and fade away into nothing. I hope it does actually build to something. I have confidence that it will. I don't have confidence that they'll time it perfectly, but I have confidence <laughs> that they will do the turn. Yeah. Watch this space. So now we go into what I imagine will be one of your favourite matches of the night. Yes. It is the ladder match for the AAA tag belts. It's the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. Yeah, so the AAA tag belts. Um, obviously, we know that the AEW tag belts are on the way, uh, but they're not there just yet. So nice to have another promotions tag belts uh, be defended. Um, obviously, we have got a title match on this show, but normally on a pay-per-view, you're used to seeing a few matches for championships. But because AEW aren't quite there yet with all their championships, um, it was cool to see the AAA uh, tag belts be bought in. Triple A tag belts have had a bit of a funny history as well because they were bought in uh, in the early 90s in 1993. Uh, El Hijo del Santo and Octagon were the first champions who lost them to Los Gringos Locos, which was Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, not long after that, Art Bar unfortunately died um, and the belts were kind of shelved up until um, 2007 when they brought them back. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a funny legacy for those titles. Uh, but yeah, since 2007, they've been kicking around. They are, to my mind, the ugliest yeah. wrestling belts yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, they just... I, and do you know what I think it is? I think they've actually spent the money on really good material. Mm. And they just look shit on camera. Yeah. Whereas if you spend the money not on good materials, but you make the belt look good, that translates. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they've actually gone to the expense of actually having like gold plating put on those belts. Yeah, but they look more yellow, don't they? Like a yellowy gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I've got a feeling that they were probably quite expensive belts that mm. look shit. Yeah. Whereas you could have good belts that uh that look nice. Mm. Um I actually have a little chat later in the night about belts um we'll come to that a bit later but yeah you've got to have a belt in a uh, ladder match yep. obviously the invention of the um 
money in the bank style briefcase or casino cash in coin. Yeah. Uh, what is it they call it in AEW? They've got they say there's the paper chip. They've got that ring, haven't they? What do they call that? Scorpio. MJF's just won the the poker, poker chip. chip. Yeah, there's a ring because Scorpio Sky used it as his nickname for a little bit when he when he won the the ring. I can't remember. It looks like a big ring from Sonic the Hedgehog. Is what it looks like. I can't remember. Not just the golden ring. No, I can't remember what it's called. What do they call hemorrhoid cushions? Because they're ring shaped. <laughs> Is that that a, would be a good name for it. <laughs> donut. Inflatable donut. The golden donut. Yeah, there you the go. golden That's donut. A, quite a good bower name. Yeah, actually, yeah. Golden donut. I wouldn't mind that. Um, <laughs> so there's another bower name coming. Were there any good BTE packages going into this? Uh, was there anything I've missed? Like, um, not that I recall. Um, BTE at this point was it was kind of this is where it was changing really from a let's just follow some wrestlers backstage and on the road to more sort of skit type things. Um, it really heated up when they hit the pandemic and everyone was sort of sat backstage at the same arena every week a bit bored. But no, the Lucha Brothers have never really been part of BT. It's, it's more the the characters that are a bit more that can be a bit more silly that are focused on it. So um, again, people know what they're getting with the Lucha's Young Bucks match, especially with a ladder in the way. You don't really need much more than that if you tell fans that's what you're getting. They're going to be excited. It doesn't need a lot of build really. So all the build for this match has come from Fight for the Fallen, mm-hmm. um, and we get a good match match package covering it. Yeah. This and um, that's my suggestion for the Bauer list match package. Match package, I like it. So, this is the fifth meeting of the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, the crowd are very hot for this. Yeah, uh, great attire from the Bucks as well, with the the kind of purple, light purplish tights with the young Bucks dollar bills wrapped around every single part of it. Yeah, it's good attire. I like that. Nick's reaction to the zero fear at the start of the match is good. <laughs> obviously, the Lucha Bros are doing their taunt, getting right in people's face. Yeah. And exactly as I was talking about in the last show, Nick's no sell of it is good. Just, I, I hate this. He looks almost as wound up by it as I get talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does help really, really sell it. Um, and obviously, their response to the zero fear is the zero dick <laughs> taunt. Yeah. They, they duff out. They pop that one out a couple of times. Yep. Um, so no warm-up or feeling out process to this match whatsoever. It's the Bucks uh-huh. versus the Luch Bros in a ladder match. Let's just get going. Yeah, yeah, just balls to the wall, crazy stuff. You know, there was a lot of bits in this that you hadn't seen before, but kind of configured in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that much new and innovative because at the end of the day, this match happens 20 years after the Edge Christian Hardy Boys Terry Invitational Tournament wow. Round Five from No Mercy 1999, there's a 20-year legacy from that match building to this. Yeah, obviously most people now call it TLC. Yeah, but there's a certain there's a certain age group who were there when this sort of started, and it will always go back to No Mercy 99 Definitely. and the Terry Invitational Tournament. Yeah, like. What was just a throwaway series of five matches that yeah. probably Doc Hendricks was like, why don't we do that with these guys? Yeah, yeah. It turned into like an absolute game changer for the whole industry. Completely. Yeah, I mean, 
tag team wrestling at that point was kind of on its ass. Um, and to see these two up and coming teams that hadn't really done a lot up until this point, given that opportunity and just thought, sod it, let's, let's take the blueprint from Razor and Sean and, you know, times it by 10 and see what we can do. Um, yeah. Like you say, it just, it changed things. That's one of the interesting things, isn't it? When you look at uh, ladder matches or TLC matches now in 2022, and see, they haven't really come that far mm. from No Mercy 99. No. But the the time between Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10, I believe, yep. the, the, the gap between that and No Mercy 99 is only four years. Yeah, yeah. And the elevation of the ladder match from that first Hall Michaels... <laughs> They only had one ladder. They only had one ladder in their match. If they'd broken the ladder, match can't end. That's it. They'd still be fighting now. <laughs> and that's the thing, though. Ladder matches, they, there had been that Sean and Brett one that was kind of on a, a random compilation video, but it wasn't like on a big show. And then the first big one was that Sean Razor. They had a rematch where they weren't allowed to hit each other with the ladder to take even another thing out of it. That was at SummerSlam. Uh, and then I think like, after that, we... We had a few years off and then it was Rock versus Triple H at SummerSlam 98 was the next one. So like ladder matches were few, very few and far between. It wasn't a thing really. And then once that that uh, Terry Invitational match happened, ladder matches became way, way more prominent and sort of evolved into the TLC matches you mentioned earlier. Mm, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things that helped this match stand apart, one of the things that the Young Bucks do incredibly well is the way they communicate with each other in the ring, mm. even when one's outside the ring and the other one's on literally the other side of the ring, they will still shout at each other, like, look behind, he's... Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's such an obvious, easy thing, but it's just not something that you've ever really seen done on WWE TV before. Yeah. Obviously, WWE, they, they, they want the cameras and the commentary to tell the story of the mm-hmm. match yeah. rather than necessarily the two lads in it shouting back and forth at each other. Yeah. But there's there's a few spots on this where one of the Jacksons is in a bit of jeopardy and the other one's like, oh, behind you, mate. Yeah. yeah. It does just help tell the story a little bit. And there's also a small thing to look out for if you just like looking out for small, tight details. There's a few Lucha Brothers spots with the ladders where they're really good at having the other member of the tag team subtly hold the ladder steady while the other one does something crazy off it. And Uh that's like, it's such a small thing, but you, you talk about doing the stuff they're doing in this match safely. Yeah. The ladder is the biggest question mark always in a ladder match. Definitely. You don't know what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's good mitigation in this match. Yes. You can never predict how a ladder's going to fall. Um, there's that famous spot where the ladder gets tilted over, two guys usually on the top, sometimes one guy, and then they basically go off and they post themselves groin first onto the ropes. Yeah. And then fall off. That's that's a classic. We've seen that a dozen times. Nick Jackson just does an effortless step off the ladder. Yeah. Like as it's falling, he just effortlessly steps off onto the top ropes and turks, turns it into a fence mm-hmm. with a top dive onto people outside the, the rope. Yes. And then Phoenix does exactly the same thing, but with an added twist, he turns around before he does the backflip. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, you're not going to see a reimagining of the ladder form in the way that we did back in the day. Mm-hmm. But there's always these little elevations, those little things you haven't quite seen before. 
and it's it's how effortless these guys make it. Sometimes it's almost to the detriment of the match. Yeah, yeah. You want there to be an air of jeopardy in a ladder match, but the way these guys can just oh, I'm on a ladder, it's falling. I'll step onto the ropes, which are wobbly enough as yeah, on their yeah. own, very much. I'll just step onto them and do a crazy move off it. Um, it is nuts the stuff these guys could do. Yeah. I don't think anyone who worked the UK Indies 20 years ago can look at the stuff that's happening now and go, yeah, I could do yeah, that. Yeah, definitely not. No, like, it's... It's just, it's just, no. And especially not that effortlessly as well. It's like it's just easy. It's like a, just another another thing to do. It's like I could do a headlock. I can bounce on the ropes like it's nothing. It's yeah, it's just crazy how, how naturally it comes to them. Yeah, it's getting to the point that a lot of people can do this stuff and sick apron bumps, but actually just doing like headlock takeover, they <laughs> yeah. quite struggle with. Yeah. Um, not the case, not the case with the Bucks. They are actually very proficient at headlock takeovers and um, are like arm bars and takeovers mm. and oh, blah, yeah. blah blah blah. I'm just rambling now, but we like the Bucks is the take home. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match? Yeah, um, like you say, it was uh, an obvious one that was going to be my match tonight. Some of the like you say, some of the stuff they did with the surroundings and the ladders were crazy. Some of the, the bumps they took, like it was one that was like directly onto the side of the ladder. It's just like, oh, that's, I know that's not the bump you were going for, but the fact you actually took it and carried on is just crazy. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, in the Rest Observer, Dave Meltzer, he's got his five star rate and he gave this one five and a quarter stars. So he went over his rating criteria for this one. So, universally praise this match was this the first match where he broke his ratings no that was uh that? kenny and okada got that i think they've had a seven star that was the seven star okay i thought that might be it so one of the moves that really stood out for me was um canadian destroyer off the ladder yes through a tank. yeah yeah <laughs> And we were talking about Chucky e. T doing his move, and I was like, "Is it a power bomb? Is yeah. it a Michinoku driver? Don't really know." Mm-hmm. You want to talk picture perfect? Yeah. yeah, This Canadian destroyer, watch it in slow motion. They replay it like three times, so you'll have you'll have the opportunity. Absolutely picture perfect, safe as houses, mm-hmm. perfect arc. It it just looks. It's a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty, and it keeps everyone safe. Yeah. Um, Penta delivered that onto Matt Jackson. Mm-hmm. Sick, sick bump, but safe as well. Definitely. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, double ladder table splash. Phoenix on Matt, uh, Nick on Penta. That was also very nice. That's something you see a lot in the Lucha Brothers, um, Young Bucks, where it's the trade off. Yes. Like rather than having one team go like on top working on the other team, it will be one guy from the team doing a right, one guy from the team doing less well. Um, and they're always quite good at getting the trade-off on that and still making the match feel balanced. Uh, Matt Jackson selling through some of this. There's points where it just looks at him, and he's just he's just gone. He's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not he's not in that match anymore. He's not thinking about this match. He's probably not thinking very much at all. Yeah. It didn't all look look massively safe though. Nick Jackson did manage to go head first through the tables. Yeah. On the outside, he did a top rope dive, and I think he just caught his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get his legs over enough, and it just kind of pivoted his body, and it just made it straight head through the table. <laughs> Don't go through tables head first. No, it's, it's not. It's not good. It looks great, uh, but it's not good. But then to just help tell the story of the match, Matt Jackson whoops off Penta's mask. Yes. Super kicks Phoenix. It looks like they've got it. 
But Penta, despite being exposed and trying to cover his face, he bum rushes the ladder, pushes it off. Matt falls off the jack, uh, off the ladder. They get the no fear package pile driver on Matt onto a ladder. Mm-hmm. Lucha Bros go over. Yeah, what's not to like? Yeah, great Putting stuff. Lucha Bros over. It, it told the story all the way through. It really did look like the Bucks had it at that one point, especially when he whipped the mask off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you get that kind of yep. It's definitely it's the movie scare, isn't it? Like the horror mm, movie. Yeah, scare. yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely got this match in the bag, and then just as they reach in for the belts, pushed off, and they lose. So as we've said many many times, we've lamented in this match. I love the Hardys versus Edge Christian No Mercy. Yep. If I say I don't like this kind of match, twenty years on, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> They're not my favorite type of matches. Yeah. By any means, but there is a place for them. Definitely. At this level, when they're done this well, mm-hmm. everyone can enjoy these. And and imagine though, imagine if you're new to wrestling. Yeah. As we've said a few times with AW, you haven't seen this before. Yeah, yeah. Like the idea in wrestling that you can't do something because it's been done before, well, let's just all close down wrestling and go. Oh, home. exactly. Yeah. Because it's all variations on a theme, and it's been that way for a hundred years. Yeah, I mean Hulk Hogan wasn't a new thing. He ripped off his stuff from lots of other people. Yeah, a bit of Ventura, superstar Billy Graham. Exactly that. Yeah, so you know, even the 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 greats have taken bits from other people. Um, just because it's happened, not everyone's seen it. It is a shame with superstar Billy Graham because he was he was so far ahead of his mm, time. Yes, and like yeah, he made his money and he made a name for himself. But if he'd just been able to extend his career just five years, yeah, yeah. that's when he would have really made money. Yeah, um, but it's crazy to think at the point that Vince took over WWE, superstar Billy Graham entered the world's strongest man competition. Right at that time, he was still like. Okay, he couldn't he couldn't work to the level he had, but he was still a strong dude. He didn't yeah, do yeah. particularly well in World's Strongest Man, mm. but like coming tenth in World's Strongest Man puts you above the other five billion people who are on the planet at that point. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, he's still the tenth strongest man in the world. That's not bad, is it? Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> is it? It's you're not you're not the ninth loser. You're the strongest <laughs> yeah. Man. yeah. So we get a little bit of afterbirth on that match. Um, after the match, everyone's reeling because everyone's taking a lot of hits. Two masked figures come out. And who are they going to attack? The answer is we're going to attack both teams. Mm-hmm. And it's revealed to be Santana and Ortiz. Now, to me, that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Not only because they were dressed like the dead presidents yep. from uh, from that movie with Keanu Reeves and the surfing. Point break. Point, point break, thank you. Clinton and the Kennedy mask, in case anyone wondered. I wrote that <laughs> down. There you go. Uh, it's a big deal to me because I kind of know who Santana and Ortiz are now. Yes. But Pete, what what did this mean for you in 2019? Yeah, so there was a buzz about Santana and Ortiz. A lot of people were hoping that they would sign with uh, AEW. They'd uh, recently been in Impact Wrestling. Um, I don't know... For aware in the early days of Impact, as when it was TNA, there was a team called LAX, which was um, right. Hernandez, Conan, and Homicide. Um, years later, a new version of LAX was formed in Impact, which was Santana Ortiz uh, and Conan. Eventually, the originals came back. There was a feud. Eddie Kingston came into the fold. Eddie Kingston very close with Santana Ortiz. Um, 
And yeah, Santana Ortiz were this very, very popular tag team of the time, really good tag team specialists. Um, there was a buzz about them. Their contract with Impact had come up. Uh, I think there was interest from WWE as well as AEW. Um, they were kind of hot free agents at this point. Uh, but they went where a lot of people hoped they would go, which was AEW. Um, yeah, and this was their, their debut. And obviously by the time Dynamite gets running, uh, that's around the time they ally with Jericho. But let's not get ahead of mm-hmm. ourselves because we will be covering that in the weeks to come. And speaking of Chris Jericho, here he comes. It's the main event. Yeah. So this is a no time limit match. Mm-hmm. Chris Jericho versus Adam Page. And the belt, this is for the belt. That lovely belt that Bret Hart pulled out and showed everyone and went, this is a lovely belt. Yeah. Ooh, what a lovely belt. It can be won on count out. Right, yeah. Because there is no champion's advantage. Yeah, it has to be a winner. Uh, can it be won on disqualification? They didn't actually say on commentary, but one has to presume it could be. Mm, I would think so. Here's a little bit of info for you on this one. Similar to the uh, Dustin Cody stats I gave you last nice. week when we discussed the Brotherhood. Yep. In this one, we have Adam Page. Born 27th of July, 1991. Oh, fucking hell. So we were 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is fighting Chris Jericho, who debuted as Cowboy Chris Jericho. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a coincidence there, a bit of overlap. His debut as Cowboy Chris Jericho was October the 2nd, 1990. Wow. Resting longer than Adam Page has been alive. Yep. So literally... Um, if Chris Jericho had had sex after that match, <laughs> a nine-month gestation period, Adam Page could be his cowboy son. Brilliant. Um, so do with that what you will. Yeah. But doesn't that make you feel old? It certainly does. Yeah. And also the interesting thing there is uh, Jericho being born, uh, sorry, Jericho debuting on the 2nd of October means his debut aligned with Dynamite's debut. Wow, that is cool. Which is information I'll probably repeat next week when we talk about dynamite. Yeah, we'll we'll pretend we haven't spoke about it before. Go, that is a great fact. Just act like that's new, new yeah. information next week when we get to it. So um, they are definitely getting the most out of their Bret Hart footage. Yep. In the package for this match, and why not? You've you've had Bret Hart come out and introduce the belt. Use it. This is it. His one and only appearance. It's been built brilliantly, this whole match. Um, decent package would be very easy to put together with the footage they've got for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they have done so much over the last year to build Adam Page into the guy. Yes. There was a bit of footage in that with Adam Page pulling out the stitches. Right, yeah. In a little promo. Where where did that come from? So he got busted open at the last show. I saw that, but I just don't know the actual like the actual promo he gave where he's like, "Oh, Jericho, oh, I'm right. going to get you," and tears out the stitches. Yeah, again, that was just one of their little YouTube things they were doing to promote stuff at the time. You can see at this point that they really need television. Definitely, yeah. So it's it's good that that's just a few weeks away because they they're, they're crying out for it at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've got the wheels turning, and now they need to hit the ground. Don't know if that meant anything. <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a, a point that um, how useful the internet is these days. Because like back in the day, you wouldn't have had YouTube and social media to put this stuff on. You'd have just I don't know how you'd have done it. 
without like a, a weekly TV show or at least a TV show. So the fact they did have YouTube and social media to throw this stuff onto was a blessing, really. Yeah, I mean, when you think how much of wrestling uh, was kept alive and even archived by tape traders, mm. just like hooking up four or five VHSs and reeling off multiple copies and sending them out in the post to each other. And that is literally some footage out there. There's a lot of lost wrestling footage, but some of the stuff that we have got only exists because tape traders kept it. Yeah, so definitely. It's crazy to think of. The uh, curtain call is a prime example of that, that. That was just filmed by a fan in attendance. It wasn't filmed by WWE. Like WWE use that footage all the time now, and it's just a fan's video camera that he took into Madison Square Garden. Yeah, because that's that's the thing, isn't it? It looks like grainy yeah. mobile phone footage. Yeah, yeah. but th- there was there wasn't a mobile phone in 1996 that no. was going to be able to film that. That's it. <laughs> it's just probably uh, how many people in that crowd even had a mobile phone at that? Well, point? exactly. Not, not yeah, yeah. Two, two maybe. Right, so before we get into this match, we're already going a little long today, but it's a big show, so I'm I'm okay with that if you are. Yeah. Before we get into the match, what is your favourite world championship belt? Because obviously Bret Hart said this is one of the nicest belts he's ever seen. Yep. It's a very nice belt, the AEW belt. It is. For me, I would like it to have a little more colour. Right. I don't mean cut yourself bleeding all over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just it's it's beautiful, but it it just needs something to help it stand out. So what is your favourite World Championship belt? I like... I've got two. I like the Attitude Era WWF title, the big round one that I used to have the replica of. That I love. Is that the one they call the Winged Eagle? No, the Winged Eagle's the Hogan, Sean, Brett one. The, right. Then they did like... The, it's a bigger, more rounded version of it that sort of Rock and Triple H and that held hired when they did the undisputed championship there's that one and then the iwgb iwgp championship not the one they're using now the previous one the really big chunky one it's kind of i think where aw got a bit of their inspiration from for their title but i really like that it's just it's big and chunky but it looks posh at the same time it's got this real style to it like, I don't like the belts these days that WWE use, which are just like a big logo. I don't like those. Um, I like I like the belts to look... They need to look like something special, and the, the titles don't these days. The hemp one that Danielson had was right, the, yeah. the last WWE belt that I actually kind of liked because it just fit his character. Um, it, but the, it's I can't really count like the Smoking Skull belt either because that's a really good-looking belt, mm. but I don't like the idea of personalised belts. Right. So I kind of discount that from my list yeah. just on the basis that it is a personalised belt. For me, my favourites are the Winged Eagle, so just before the one you like. Yeah. Obviously, it's got the big eagle, but it's also got the small blue globe in the middle, which just gives it that little bit of extra colour. Yeah. But my other favourite one is the rip-off of that, that WCW used from 1991 to 94. Right. Essentially, it's almost exactly the same belt, but it's got a bigger globe in the middle <laughs> and no yeah. eagle. Yes, yeah. It's, I just, I, I, it's a really nice belt. I think I think a little bit of blue it seems to be the colour that offsets mm. the gold so well. Um, so they're my two favourites. But I also have to give a shout-out, because I did, I did quite a lot of looking through belts online when I was looking at this. The ECW Championship belt that they used in WWE from 2008 to 2010. I know it didn't mean much of anything, 
But that was a really good looking belt. Yeah, massive as well. There were rumours that that was going to be a Triple H um, belt. Because if you look at it, you can kind of see the iron crosses on it. It's like they've been covered up with something. So yeah, there were rumblings that that's what it was originally intended to be. And they modified it to be their ECW title. So nice belt didn't really mean much. Um, ECW is a weird one because they had some really nice belts, but they they tended to kind of put red all over them. Yes, and and they just looked a bit cheap and nasty. Which I mean, I get that was the aesthetic of ECW, so yeah. it probably made sense. And it probably was covering the blood. It was literally a <laughs> yeah. color. The Ring of Honor titles are like that. They've got a lot of red to them. And obviously, um, Paige's Diva Championship had a lot of colour splashed onto it. It had something on it, yes. Yeah. More white, though. More of a shade than a (laughs) colour. Moving on. High protein, though. (laughs) Um, Apparently. So, (laughs) Adam Page comes out on a horse. He does, yeah. Perfect. That that makes sense. We like that. It didn't shit everywhere. Not the best horse moment in AW though. Wait, wait, you've got that to look oh, forward okay. to. All right. Well, save that one. Make <laughs> yeah. a note. Uh, I'll make sure I do point out. Yeah. Here's a here's a here's a question for you. Did Jericho ever use "Am I Evil" by Diamond Head at any point on the Indies? No, but he has it on his Titantron for reasons. Yeah, he does, and it's just like that would be a really good track for him to use now i think this was around the time he had his match with evil in new japan so i'm right. guessing well i think he'd already done it but i'm guessing it's it was a th- uh, like a holdover from that he must have said in a promo like to evil am i evil and they just thought oh that's a line we'll stick it on a titan tron yeah it is a bit of a, an odd one of course, we've seen Diamond Head live. We have, when yeah. They opened for Megadeth. Yeah. Pre pandemic times. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We have Aubrey refereeing this one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now in 2022, not a big deal, but in 2019, that was a big deal. Yeah. It was the first main event to be refed by a woman. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. She is very good at what she does. Um, always gets attention called to it, if not by us. But by Jim Ross. Yes. Or someone trying to go, look, look, everyone, a woman doing a man's job. No, no, she's just doing a job. Yeah. This is one of those matches where it's one of the most impactful matches of the night. Mm-hmm. But the actual match itself, quite average. Yeah. That happens quite often in wrestling where the undercard does kind of outshine the actual main event. Yeah. But then the main event carries itself by virtue of being mm-hmm. the main event. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that just it shows what having a belt on the line can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. We get a small but prominent you fat fuck chant <laughs> to YG2J. <laughs> yeah. One thing. It's crazy that people do that to a wrestler who's given them quite as much. And mm. obviously, people didn't know he was ill at that point. Yeah, yeah. Two, why do I still call him Y2J? I know you're not, not giving that up, are you? No, not letting that one go. <laughs> it's still his best T-shirt. <laughs> that's that's going to be the reason, yeah. But Jericho's done everything in in wrestling that there is to do. There is nothing he hasn't done. He's even done Ring of Honor now, the Ocho. Yeah. And just a few Malvi cunts at ringside do kind of want to bring it down. But he plays them like a fiddle. Oh, of course. It, it, it's like one of the people you just don't heckle, isn't he? It's, just, it's like going to a comedy show and heckling the trained professional at 
saying funny things. It's just not wise. It is. It is weird that you have a go at him for anything. But you know what? We we talk a lot about how good Jericho is and how he's kind of molded wrestling to his own image over the last thirty years of his career. But there are a few things he's not great at. Mm-hmm. Here's one. He says minutes after saying the crowd shouldn't criticize. <laughs> One thing he's bad at is taking chops. Right. Now, chops, actually, if you present yourself and give a clean target, chops not only look better, sound better, they're easier. Yes. They're easier to take. When you kind of pull your shoulders forward, if you roll your shoulders forward and present a small target, you tend to get kind of whiffy glances off, which can often hurt a lot more. Yeah. But they look awful and they sound crap but they hurt. Yeah. The exact opposite of what you want in wrestling. Jericho gets really bad late into a match. He does just instinctively start protesting, protecting his chest by rolling his arms in. It's a weird one as well, because like Jericho does chops as part of his moveset. Like every match is one of his main sort of striking things. So you think he'd know the best way to take them because he gives them. It is, it is a really weird one, isn't it? Um, I don't know if, obviously, he has some sort of injury to his pectorals or yeah. his sternum. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always wondered, I don't want to badmouth the guy because I think he's great. I've always thought Jericho probably had ab implants, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had pectoral implants right. as well. And where his sternum has got a bit of a funny mismatch shape, I think maybe he's had to have pectoral implants removed. Right. And the muscle has never dropped back down into place mm, yeah. i don't know i'm not a doctor i'm just i'm just giving my observations but i've always wondered if that's why jericho is a bit more protective on chops these days yeah maybe the other thing that he's not very good at and i've time stamped this if you're watching on youtube and you go to the one hour 34 mark on the second half of the show because that's where the main event is yep uh, you can see Aubrey take a blade out of her pocket and hand it to Jericho after he <laughs> takes that shot from Paige to the eyebrow. He takes exactly the same shot to the eyebrow as what busted open Hangman. Yeah. Aubrey, yeah, literally just, you can see him pocket, uh, take the blade out, hand it to him. He rolls out the ring. You know he's going to come up with colour because you've seen the blade. Yeah, you? yeah. And there was a few times in WWE where you literally saw him drop a, a blade and rush to pick it up. Right. There's another time where he flicked it out of the ring and you heard it go ping <laughs> on the way out. So, yeah, that's something he needs to work on. But we get a bit of colour in this match and uh, that is needed, to be fair, because we're talking about the story of the match. It is all story. It's all about the belt. The actual match is quite average. That colour does help. Yes, Definitely. Little bit of blood, and it's the only bit of blood in the show as well. So, yeah, you want something to have impact, save it for when it counts. This is when it counts. Um, is is another thing that I've got to point out Adam Page, mm-hmm. he also does a rolling Samoan drop, right? Much like Kenny Omega does, yeah. Uh, not half as nice as Kenny's, is it? No, 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 that's when you know Kenny's very crisp with what he does, and it's it's beautiful the way Kenny does it and the pop up, yeah. And obviously, Adam Page, a hell of an athletic guy. Just, I mean, the buckshot Larry is testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he doesn't, he, he, when have you ever seen him miss the buckshot? No, Larry? exactly. Yeah, no, he's, um, he's always on with that. Better batter average, batting average on that move than Punk. Mm, yes. <laughs> I still, I still maintain that's where Punk tweaked his foot before he. Yeah, maybe. Broke. Yeah, no doubt. I know he says it was, oh, I hit it on the barrier going out the yeah, ring. Yeah. Nah. 
nah, son, you tried to flip over and didn't land it yeah. twice. After Jericho comes up bleeding, someone from the crowd, the same smart marks that were showing him <laughs> earlier, one of them shouts, Tis but a scratch. <laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't allow these people to drink alcohol in at sport events mm. for four hours. <laughs> yeah. Except at baseball where you have to, because that's the only way to get through it. That's it. What were your thoughts on this match, Peter? No, yeah, much much like you, it, it it's not like the match we had before it, it's not Pack and Kenny, but it's a. Uh, it's kind of what you expect from a, a world championship match. I mean, neither one of these guys is, they, they can do flashy things, but neither one of them is known for their flashy stuff. I mean, Jericho's had who knows how many world title matches at this point in his career. So he knows how to main event a show. Adam Page, this is kind of new ground for him. Um, he is not really main evented prior to this. Um, and it's, definitely the biggest match of his career at this point and him being in there with Chris Jericho it's, it's the guy you want to help lead you through a, a world championship match and program and it's no surprise that Jericho you know is in this position for AEW it's, it's no one better to be in this position to help cement the world title at this point so yeah it's it's a it's a good match it, I mean it got four stars um which is still like a high rating um but the wrestling server news that they, they the star ratings don't just come from work rate; it comes from story and selling and every part of the match. Uh, and both guys are are on form in this match, and yeah, they do a really good job. I mean, I think I think at least three of those four stars probably come from the ending sequence. Yes. So yeah. we we're getting towards the end of the match. We get a buckshot lariat that gets landed. He goes for a dead eye. The dead eye gets reversed. Bit of back and forth. Page moonsaults onto the ramp, which is a really good way of bringing his bad knee into it. They've been yep. talking about his knee being bad since his match with Pack in Nottingham, England. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just like to add that because, once again, British uh, British town names never <laughs> seem to really bring the glory of wrestling to the forefront, do they? Well, it's not like they use it in a faction name later on or anything. <laughs> no, that would be terrible. <laughs> um, so after, after he's already buggered up his knee... Page goes for the buckshop attempt, and Jezza has it. He has it countered. He, he see Jezza sees it coming. Yeah. And the second the buckshot lands, Jericho's there to take advantage. And actually, I think you could have put in if you just put in Adam Page lands and just the knee slightly buckles. Yeah. And then Jericho take like if you always sell Jericho as the the canny ring veteran who, mm. while he didn't see it coming. The second is a weakness. He sees it and takes advantage. Yes. I think that would have really sold the story of the leg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jericho, he's a bit too quick on it, I think. Yeah. Page catches the code breaker in, and turns it to the dead eye. That's lovely. That's probably yeah, it was nice. the night. Yeah. Jericho runs up the code breaker. Obviously, goes quite high. Page just holds him, puts him over the back. And I just thought, like, that should have been it. Mm-hmm. Obviously part of their TV deal has been going to people and saying, hey, we've got Chris Jericho and he's going to be our champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly as they're doing now with Ring of Honor. They're trying to get Ring of Honor a yep. TV deal. So they're going, hey, everyone, Chris Jericho, he's our TV, he's our champion. He's going to be on TV every week. Yeah, yeah. But if Jericho hadn't reversed that and then got up and fired the Judas effect out of nowhere to win the match, if Adam Page had landed that dead eye and won the match, how would that have changed things for the first year of AEW? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like we said earlier, AEW aren't the best at 
um, following through once a, a guy gets a belt. They're not the best at following through. And Adam Page's journey to winning that belt was so good. It get did get slightly derailed, um, maybe went on again a bit longer than it should have. But his chase was so good. Um, and it was such a great moment when he won the belt. So I think it it was the right decision. I, I think it was too soon for Page to be in that position, especially a brand new company that you know needed some momentum. So I don't think he would have been the right guy to take it, but it was very much a, it, it made a point that Adam Page was their guy. He was going to be, yes, he'd been in New Japan and Ring of Honor previously, but he was their like homegrown guy as such that they were going to strap everything to and push to the moon when the time was right. Yeah, it's totally the right decision. I think it was the right decision for all of the like your br- the, for the brain, mm-hmm. for the spreadsheets, for every reason that makes sense fiscally. Yeah, Jericho should have done it, but for the heart, for being the company that supports the the underdogs and yeah. gives the indie yeah. guys the chance, the the chance, and also just to say we're not going to be the company that just hires ex WWE employees mm-hmm. and pushes them to the top. Yeah, had Adam Page gone over in this, this first match, I think that would have really changed a lot of the way people look at AEW. Yeah, and I think you go from the champion is Chris Jericho to the champion beat Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. I think with the right selling you could you could definitely have done that. But at the same time, Jericho is the master of self promotion first. I think Jericho would have quite liked to have been the first champion. And he was. And it gave us a little bit of the bubbly, um, which was brilliant. Was that was that a Jericho celebration? Yeah, so he was there was like some footage of him afterwards going backstage and shouting at everyone to thank him. And he walked up to this table and there was like a really shit buffet. And he picked up this bottle of wine and goes, oh, a little bit of the bubbly. And loads of people, you've got to look them up. A friend of mine actually did one. Like just put that into songs and random things, just him saying that. And it just like went Brilliant. completely viral. Um, and some of them are so funny. I remember, I remember at the time I just kept saying a little bit of the bubbly to Sarah and she was just getting so wound. It's like, why do you keep saying it? I was like, because it's hilarious. And there were t-shirts. There was an action figure of Jericho that came in his champagne bottle box. That doesn't surprise me. And it, yeah, it was just, it just was brilliant. It was so funny. Yeah, but well worth looking up those little song parodies with that little bit of the bubbly bit spliced in. He didn't, he didn't pick up the champagne bottle, say a little bit of bubbly, turn around. Spill some champagne over Kane and then get into a six-month feud. <laughs> <laughs> no, he sort of pours it on his head and you can tell it instantly starts stinging and it's like, oh, that's a bad mistake. But yeah, it was funny. You know, I think that old spilling coffee on Kane, you know, <laughs> I think they need to hand that off to Luchasaurus. <laughs> yeah. It should just be people like always turning around, spilling spilling coffee or booze or beer or whatever it is. It should be tar on Luchasaurus, shouldn't it? Well, no, that's how you beat him. <laughs> standing. You have to tar the poor guy. <laughs> okay, right. Well, we, we went off the rails at the end there. So, Pete, what was your favourite match of the night? Um, it's between Pac and Kenny and the AAA tag titles, but I'm going to go with the tag match. And I am going to go with Kenny and Pac. Nice. Um, probably not a big surprise to you because I love Pac. Uh, and I'm really warming on Kenny as mm-hmm. well now that, like, well, like I said, I, I I didn't see the best of his run 
tail end of AEW before he dropped the belt. Yeah. But that that match with Danielson, the time limit draw, and then the match with Paige, they were both great. I was just getting into him. So yeah, I'm I, I I'm probably a Kenny Omega fan now. Good. Only five years after everyone else. <laughs> we need to get you watching those Okada matches at some point. You need to see those. Yeah, that'd be worth doing. Maybe we do a special and take a look at yeah, them. Um but I did have a Bullet Club T-shirt back in 2018, so I was one of the core. There you go. Yeah. Even if I didn't know what it meant, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the T-shirt. Do you know what it means? No. <laughs> oh, they're a group of paedophiles. Oh shit. <laughs> well, give it time. The way <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. gone the last few years, that might be true. Sorry, none of them are British. It's fine. Who was your MVP of the night? Who do you think came out looking the best? Oh, uh, probably Pack. Um, yeah, I'd say he looked bloody good coming into that match. And they did they did make him look good. Yeah, like I say, a match that not a lot of people expected him to win either. So yeah. I actually thought MVP of the night, um, and this is something very unique to wrestling. Uh Roland Barthes, if you want to read some philosophy, he wrote a great essay about um about wrestling and about how it's unique in sport of being the emphasis on the loser. I've probably mentioned it on this podcast before, wouldn't be surprised. WrestleMania 6 is the textbook example of that. But Adam Page, Mm -hmm. strong in defeat. This is the match for me that made Adam Page. The fact that he's even the contender to go against Jericho for the belt. And there were points in the match where you realistically thought he could win this, he could do it, he could go over. Um, Strong in defeat, Adam Page, the future of AEW, question mark? Mm. I think... think Punk probably derailed the plans of him as a champ, but as you've said, they had plans to make him champ, which yes. was three, four years strong, mm-hmm. and then they didn't quite know what to do with him. Yeah, but he's still young. He's still very young, so you know the best is yet to come. I think with Adam Page. So that was all out 2019. A very tight show, all in all, eight action-packed matches. There wasn't a stinker in the bunch, to be honest. No, no, I think it's the best show they've done so far for me. So it makes you want to tune into television in a month's time. You don't have to wait a month. In just one week, we are back for Dynamite episode one, and we are going to be moving the pay- we are going to be moving the podcast from Fridays to hopefully uploading them on Wednesdays. That's the same day Dynamite's on. Just in time for their three year anniversary as well. We we should get that episode up in time. Something will go wrong now. There'll be. <laughs> fire or a plane or land on a house or something my last amusing point as you watch all out 2019 count up um go off air you can hear someone counting down (laughs) nine eight um i'm a child i found that really funny do with that what thou will if you want to follow us on social media where can they find you, Pete? They can find me on MySpace at Pete Taines, but they can also find me on Twitter uh, at Pitois. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Pitois80. And if you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, I know Facebook is probably your everyone's favourite social media platform. We do have a page on there. Look for Double View Wrestling Podcast. And I am Party Triggerman on Face Party. <laughs> You can find me on MSN Messenger or AOL as Keyword Triggerman. No, um, you can follow me on Twitter at CZ Hazard, which is also my pen name. I write books and stuff, don't you know? Please follow the podcast 
on Twitter at AEW. Give us a like, a follow, a subscribe. It all helps. The single best thing you can do to help us grow is please give us a share on social media. Tell other wrestling fans about us. Help people find our show because we're still new and we don't want to die on the vine. We need all of your help. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in one week with Dynamite. Is it going to be explosive? No, that's TNT you're thinking of. That's, Damn that's it. the other channel. Sorry. Oh, no, it is Dynamite yeah. and TNT. I've never, I, you know, I've never <laughs> tweaked on that. On that bombshell, we're out. <laughs>